1: And welcome to episode 40 of Chin Music. It is still a podcast presented by of my fan in sunny and cool DeKalb, Illinois. I'm Kevin Goldstein and joining me in the rotating co-host chair this week is the baseball writer for Yahoo Sports. I am told she also has a degree in ancient history from the University of Pennsylvania, which maybe we'll talk about at some point later in the show. And joining us from lovely Brooklyn, New York, it's Hannah Kaiser. Hannah, how are you?
2: I'm okay. Thank you for having me.
1: You're okay. I I appreciate the honest answer. You're okay. <laughs> people say, are you sure
2: that's an honest answer? I was going to say maybe that's the. You know what? I'll, I'll, yeah, let, let, I'll change
1: that. That's a believable answer.
2: <laughs> thank you, thank you. I try to I try to be believable at all. When times. When
1: people like you say how are you doing, they go great. My first and maybe it's just the cynic in me. My first reaction is really yeah. Are you great? Like yeah. I have maybe I had a hundred great days in my life. Great.
2: I, although I will say I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing better than okay because um, I've. I don't have a puppy in my lap, so that's why I'm not doing great like you do, but I'm, I'm doing better than okay because, uh, I'm finally home after like six weeks of traveling continuously Jesus. and I live right next to Prospect Park and I am like the only thing I'm like at all religious about is taking walks in the park every morning and I'm post walk in the park. So I'm doing, I'm doing better than okay.
1: Um, yeah, I was, uh, we're recording this on, it's Friday morning and this will probably go up Friday afternoon and, and, uh. We're day late. I had, some, I had some some travel myself, um, but currently President Pierce Update is thankfully he is sleeping in my lap and not being a monster, which is what he is when he's awake. Um, we're going to talk about baseball because that's what the show is about, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about all sorts of baseball stuff. Our special guest this week is Evan Drellick of The Athletic, who's going to update us in his own unique and always cynical way of baseball's very large and suddenly very looming labor problem um it's november 19th the cba expires in 12 days uh and then once evan is done making you depressed we'll get into uh our musical guest model home very excited about model home uh we'll read your emails we'll get an update with hannah a a moment of culture and then you can uh get ready for your weekend and planning your thanksgiving hannah are you ready to talk about baseball
2: i'm ready to talk about baseball
1: it was awards week hannah and awards were announced. And you want to know what? People were mad. I fucking hate it.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: God, people, stop it. Here's, I, I, I can go on 27 different things here about this. but I, My main point is, unless you are related to a player, you really shouldn't give a shit about how they finish in an award voting. And I don't. Are you? You're a member of the Baseball Association of America, are you not?
2: But I, I am. But I didn't have a vote. I. You had I no votes. I had no votes. and I didn't know to be it, offended about this until I started seeing people sort of post about their votes. And I was. Is like, that because you're like? I have a Is that
1: because you're like in the big New York group?
2: Yeah, exactly. It's because there's like so many members in New York that it's a. It's like rotating around, and eventually it'll get to me.
1: I'm more mad that you didn't have a vote than the results of any vote.
2: <laughs> I am thrilled that I didn't have a vote because you're right. People are outrageous about it. I have. Truly so many thoughts about, like, the 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 thing that you put in the rundown, which is, like, what is it that you said? People stop are,
1: yelling at people stop who are different people from you.
2: Exactly. Okay. There's so many ways we could take this. There's, like, the broadest, most existential way we could take this, which is sort of, like, if you cannot get your mind around the fact that, like, different perspectives exist and that there's a difference between what is objective and subjective as it pertains to, like, baseball awards, this is going to be a tough life for you. And it's really (laughs) exploring with society in general. Like, our inability to distinguish between what is sort of, like, a just – gradations of personal opinion versus like objective rights and wrongs It's it's crazy it's like i understand that all of human history is based in tribalism and the internet has exacerbated that and twitter has front and centered it so that way now everybody feels like everything they think is about their tribe and like it's just sort of like no it's not and if everybody if there was an objective answer at every time we wouldn't do this and also if everyone agreed about everything sports wouldn't be a lucrative industry
1: yeah, and you're right. I think it is a cultural thing. Like, if you think different from me, you're wrong.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It's so strange. Like, all of Twitter is just people telling you that they saw a tweet they didn't like. And it's like, that's okay. <laughs>
1: I, think t- my, <laughs> I think my favorite thing, and by favorite, I mean most awful thing, is the people who get mad about things that might happen. So when the yeah. award's not even announced yet, and they're already mad if someone gives this guy a fourth place vote, I'm going to be I ir- You're already mad about something that might happen. That's a hell of a way to go through life, man.
2: Well, and in particular, I think I was just um, in preparation for this. I was sort of thinking about this and thinking about, and I read Ken Rosenthal's piece defending his NL ballot, and I thought some of his reasonings were sort of a little squishy. They were, they were, you know, team schedule type stuff. And then I thought, of course, they're a little squishy because, like, out of twelve hundred baseball players or whatever, the top two or three are pretty close, and like, mm-hmm. it's so much. It's, there's so much more sort of objective in terms of separating the up, the like tippy toppest echelon from everybody else than there is in distinguishing between them. So, of course, once you get down to like determining who's second and who's third, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. or Juan Soto, you're kind of just bringing in your own non-necessarily numerical factors that you like to bring to bear on this and that's okay that's why we have more than one person vote like right. they're designed to balance out
1: <laughs> i just don't know why you care about how other people vote and it just yeah. I, how how you know where fernando tatis finishes and the mvp voting should have absolutely no effect on how you see fernando tatis as a player
2: right he so, could why, have, so why are he you, could you putting something MVP. Into it? that's how good he is he could right. have been mvp that's, so why are you putting we,
1: emotional he, energy into it? it shouldn't change anything it's like oh but i don't I don't care who wins a Grammy, right? You know, and I guarantee you, I don't think those were the best records. Like, this is this is it's Grammy voting, it's Oscar voting, and it's it's okay. I guess it's okay to get worked up. I don't understand it. Like,
2: it's it's absolutely great to get worked up about it as long as you don't get worked up about the. I mean, maybe this is I'm about to say such a media centric thing. I was going to say it's great to get worked up about it as long as you don't get mad at the voters themselves. But that is like super
1: annoying. Like there was, you know, one of the closest votes, and I was only vaguely on twitter this week like one of the closest votes was national league cy young um Corbin birds win zach wheeler finishes second and at one point there was like this
2: let's talk uh, about like, jeff passen's tweet
1: there was almost like this this i don't even know what that tweet was we'll talk about that in a second you can tell me what that was but like there was like this movement among Phillies fans to let's find the writers who didn't vote for zach wheeler and go after him
2: yeah I'm like right. what do you what to what end Yes. All right. So we talk about the the, the tweet. I don't. Yeah, because I I, I
1: I know. I oh, not don't know of the passing tweet. What was the passing tweet?
2: He tweeted something that are that and I and I I don't. I was not on Twitter enough, so I apologize if there was like more backstory to this. We're going to jump out in the middle. He tweeted something to the effect that was sort of like nerds. Killed the appreciation for innings, sort of in defense of Corbin Burns and against Zach Wheeler, and I just thought like, no, they didn't. Like, first of all, that's just like not even true. But second of well, all, right? Was, this he being ir- that- was he being ironic? No, because oh. he backed it up in replies okay. to people. Um, I might even did he delete the tweet? That would be so funny. Oh, I. Know uh, I and I-, I I love Jeff. I'm sorry for I. Again, I think people should disagree. If you think Corbin Burns is better than Zach Wheeler, and you think the sort of that the the stuff was more important than the the difference in innings, or you think the difference in innings is inherently negligible, that's totally fine. Sure, but the people who think differently are not like a. A collective mob of nerds who ruined baseball like that's just like that just it's totally fine and also whatever it's just objectively not true that nerds like you know, is that right. FIP includes innings right it's almost like saying that because we don't rely on ERA we rely on more advanced stats now often that that uh like that runs don't matter it's like it's like saying like oh right. nerds don't care how many runs you give up they just care about uh, right you're swinging strike right yeah but it's like you do care about how many runs you give up you just don't look at era as the end all be all it sort of feels like that it's like sorry war war includes in it. yeah he said the greatest trick the nerds ever pulled was convincing people innings don't matter
0: <laughs> I thought, is it, that true no you're
2: innings, a nerd right, did you innings, convince yeah. people innings don't matter
1: no i i quite the opposite i i'm a huge believer in innings mattering and 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 um, and I will say, like, when you think about the, the more important thing we're involved in right now, which is things like free agency and trade season, um, the innings is massively important. And, and, and I, I, I think innings are one of the more valuable elements of the stat line, to be honest with you, is how many innings a guy can throw. And I mean, you really teams really do start off and they, they start the year and they sit there and they go like we got 1500 innings to throw this year. Who's going to throw them? You know, and, yeah. and there's a big difference between thinking, well, this we might get 140 out of this guy, and you might get 180 out of this guy, because that's 40 fewer innings to think about. And if you have three guys like that, all of a sudden you got 120 innings to make up. Um, I,
2: I I do feel bad that we picked up Jeff because I want to say that Jeff's no, Jeff's lovely. I completely agree in the sense of like. I would have voted for Zach Wheeler over Corbin Burns because of the innings. I just don't think that, that the people who voted for Corbin Burns over Zach Wheeler did so because there's part of some sort of, like, secret mob of nerds that's looking to devalue innings.
1: And I do think, like, um, I, I feel like the world at times gets a little defensive about the nerds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, those damn nerds are doing stuff. Like, that. They're, they're, they're nerds. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Yeah. It's, they're not damaging the world, and... Um, you know, I, I
2: the only nerd who's damaging the world is Elon Musk. Everyone else is just a nerd. I, do you count him as a nerd? Uh, he's like a yes. He's I don't. A nerd I don't. The, I don't
1: see Elon Musk as a nerd.
2: I see him as sort of the truest sense of like in the same way that that like it's sort of the the. Nerds who feel the need to do too much because they weren't cool in high school. Nerds, I don't know if Elon Musk was cool in high school and now he's gonna find out about this podcast because I'm sure he's monitoring every corner of the
1: airwaves. I'm sure, yeah, someone will tweet at or someone will just tweet at no, him. Jesus, we I this is a big time. problem. It's this like tweeting a, about it's like saying something about Barstool.
2: <laughs> well, let's let's uh change topics before we say something about Barstool accidentally.
1: <laughs> oh, god, but yeah, no, I just like, Elon, I just see him as king of like those, the, and I it's, it's funny it's it's this is, people do not do what I'm about to say I do sometimes. If someone is an asshole to me on Twitter, sometimes I look at their profile, yeah and see how who else are they an asshole to? And I can't tell you how often they fall into one of two categories. The first is stooly,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but the second is libertarian crypto. I love Elon Musk,
2: <laughs> yeah. And we are not necessarily conflating those two groups because I think at times high. there's
1: a little. I think the Venn diagram overlaps a little. This is
2: a little bit of a. I, can you imagine being part of a fandom that's self describes as stooly, and you think that that's like a positive point in your <laughs> personality?
1: <laughs> Having dealt with those people, I can see how they do that, mm-hmm. and it does. But yes, it does baffle me. Um, but yeah, enough about libertarian crypto weirdos. Um, I do want. Let, let's. We're going to talk about labor. And that's a bad thing. But I baseball, don't think so. <laughs> it's depressing. Like it's gonna, it's gonna be annoying, um, at the least. And but I, I always say, like every once in a while, baseball gets something right. And when they do that, it's our responsibility to say, hey, baseball got something right. Mm-hmm. And it took too long, and we all know that. And it was an issue for a very long time. But they kind of uh, they provide some clarity on the new um, housing protocol for minor leaguers. And it feels like they got a lot right um, in the sense that they uh, are making sure that, that the onus is more on the teams than the players. Um, players are not going to get screwed on their leases and all their bills and things like that, which has been a constant point of conflict in the, for minor league players for a very, very long time. And you know, yes, housing might not be difficult for the first round pick who got $4 million, but you know, 20 of the 25 kids on that team didn't get $4 million. Um, and they're not making any money, and they have to have housing, and it leads to all sorts of problems for them that honestly are bad for the, them as, in terms of their development. And I don't know why anyone puts up with it. But it's, but baseball actually got this right. It looks like because I, I was worried like that ah we're gonna make teams without housing. I'm like you know if you just give them money they're still gonna end up in these lease hells because they you know yes. you sign a lease and then you move up or you move down or you get cut or whatever and you, know, you signed a lease and it's a binding legal document. Um, but it sounds like it looks like baseball got this right.
2: I think they got it right. And I think uh, to your sort of uh, preamble, your, your throat clearing, you're right. They, they took them a long time to get it right that they are still, un, you know, criminally underpaying their minor leaguers and people shouldn't live in poverty while working for a billion dollar industry and they definitely shouldn't be homeless. So now they won't be that. They shouldn't be living in school buses, which players were. Um, I think we should celebrate this sort of loud and clear and and, and without as much hedging because I think that this is a win for advocacy groups. I mean, yeah, the, for sure. The, that this is a really important, like, I think there's a temptation often to always see major league baseball as the bad guy. And they were for a long time with the minor leagues. But the, the, the fact that they're doing right now is a credit to the coverage that people have done on the minor leagues to the minor leaguers themselves who went on the record to minor leaguers who formed these advocacy groups, uh, the more than baseball group. Like, I think it's really important to see that the reason we, the reason people should speak out about injustices, whether that's in this border or otherwise, is for the hope that something like this happens. And then when something like this happens, we should say, yes, exactly. That's what we meant.
0: Yeah. Um, so, good. yes, exactly. Thank you. This is what good we <laughs> Um
2: It is, it does seem very commendable. I'm, I'm sort of looking at the press release they sent out about it bedrooms must contain a single bed per player and there must be more no more than two players per bedroom accommodations must be furnished clubs will be responsible for basic utilities Um, they have to be you know a reasonable commutable distance from the ballpark Uh, it seems all good it also just seems self-evident you referenced or alluded to the sort of lease issue like this is a this is this would be a tough circumstance under which to find housing this being playing as a minor leaguer. Almost regardless of the money issue and the money issue. Absolutely. <laughs> like like it's just tough like you got to find housing and it can change at a whim and, and and it's not for the whole year and your salary is going to be different depending on where you are and like yeah it just like the headache of it all just seems like it must be bad for development let alone too prohibitively expensive given their puny salaries.
1: Yeah, and you make a good point, like we should celebrate this. And I think that's part of advocacy as well, is when you pressure someone to do something and they do it, it helps to say, good job. Thank yeah. you. That's great. Um, because that kind of feedback, that positive feedback to go with the negative feedback can lead to better results down the road.
2: And I think from having dealt with MLB on some of this minor league stuff over the past year, two years, the the pressure point that was the minor leagues became pretty extreme I mean that was sort of of all the topics that they felt like they were getting criticized over the minor leagues was one that they really didn't like getting criticized about and felt like was people were coming after them and, and rightly so so I think it's true I think we saw sort of a direct response to some of the reasonable outcry but of course you know they, they could have just been slightly more reasonable to begin with and then we wouldn't have had to outcry quite so much.
1: Do you, I mean as someone who's reporting these issues? Do you feel like MLB kind of did this kicking and screaming, or that they did recognize that this was kind of the right thing to do here?
2: Well, I think that some of things. the tea I think it's a mix. I think. I think some of the teams recognize this as the right thing to do for the benefit of their players. Right, and the teams are the owners who are the MLB's boss. So that was meaningful. I do think that the the prospect of a minor league union, which I think has gained a little bit of steam, yeah, amongst sure. these advocacy groups, probably scared the owners. I mean, it's sort of interesting to think of the advocacy around minor league. Um, living conditions and the labor fight that we're seeing are in some ways related. What we are seeing is that, like you can only get stuff from MLB if you do have some form of collective action, whether that's a formal union or just like an organized series of complaints coming from the labor. Um, so I think I think it's a I think they I think they did it kicking and screaming because I think they were pretty unhappy about having to constantly answer for the negative conditions in Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball, but they should have um, had to answer for those. So they they were kicking and screaming, what they shouldn't have been. But I, I think that part of it, I think the only part of it that didn't happen kicking and screaming was the fact that I do think there were some owners and teams who were willing to go further than the rest to take care of their Minor League players for the mm-hmm. competitive aspect. And that right. probably made it easier to push through something like this.
1: Um. We have the end of a story that we covered pretty much every week here on the podcast and had special guests. We had Deshaun to talk about a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Mets have a general manager.
2: You think that's the end? That's so optimistic of you.
1: it's the end it's the it's the end of this part of Of this chapter
2: we close one chapter and then we open a new chapter that says how will billy epler do in new york so now you have
1: a new name to be mad at um and like you said that is billy epler who uh was with the yankees for a very long time and then was the gm of the angels for a while it didn't work out and um I have it. a
2: question, for you. Have not a question easy, for you. Not an
1: easy place to be a GM because yeah. of the owner's situation. Um, but, yeah, go ahead.
2: Here's my question for you. If the Mets had announced that they had hired Billy Epler a month ago, right. how would you feel about it? Would you be like, okay, that seems reasonable? Like if there hadn't been I think that would have been, been my
1: exact reaction. I would have been like, that's a man. Yes. Yeah, I would've, I would've, yeah that's, that's totally reasonable. Yeah, Billy deserves another chance. He got put into a real bad situation um, in Los Angeles. And, and, yeah, I would go, yeah, that's totally reasonable. I get it.
2: There is a weird, like, it was like we thought they were going to run out of people in baseball <laughs> to ask, and they were going to end up with some baby-faced lawyer in Pittsburgh. But then they ended up with Billy Epler, and I was like, okay, that seems cool. That's, okay. Like, <laughs> I,
1: that, well, I, that was my favorite story. I think of the whole thing was, the, the, it was Adam Cromery didn't get partners, now he wants to be a GM.
2: Yeah. Um, uh. You alluded to the ownership component. Do you think Billy's time in L.A.? is part of what makes him qualified to deal with Steve
1: Cohen. <laughs> it's very funny you say it. I, so I've talked to some people. I've talked to people who were in the mix, right? Mm. And um, I still don't know. And I they I felt like they didn't know either if Steve Cohen is going to be like a super great owner to work for or an absolute nightmare. But I'm fairly certain it's going to be one of those two and not something in the middle. Like yeah. it's going to be one or the other, and so, um, it sounds like Steve Cohen's going to give you money, right, and to make a roster. That's great. Um, the question is kind of how hands-on he's going to be, and like I can, uh, if I was, you know, going to go work for, I can live with the owner tweeting bullshit. That's whatever, right? That's fine. Um, the question is like, how much is he going to, like, fuck with me doing
2: my job,
1: right? Yeah. I I
2: mean, I think it's going to be a nightmare, but then he'll reward you with enough money to. Right.
1: And is he going to leave you alone? Like, is he going to say, is he going to let, you know, hey, I want to sign this guy for, you know, five years, 150. Is he going to say, no, you can't do that? Or is he going or or even worse, is he going to call Scott Boris and try to negotiate the deal? Um, You know, (laughs) and, and like, 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 how is this all going to happen? And so I think that's still it's still an unknown. But I really, I genuinely believe the answer is one of the extremes. He's either going to be like a really great owner to work for, like maybe not fun to be a fan of that team or and maybe he's going to be a pain in the ass and then create some media stuff. But like just to like to how much is he getting in, you know, in the way of your job is really all you're looking at if you're an executive for a team.
2: I think he seems like a really fun owner to be a fan of the team. I think that part, actually, I'm sort of like, I think that to, I I actually, I. that's not sarcasm. I genuinely do yeah. think that it sort of seems more annoying for the people who work for him than it is. If you're a fan, I think about this all the time. Like, if you're a fan, don't care that, you don't need to be mad that Steve Cohen tweets. You should be thrilled that Steve Cohen tweets. I wish all the owners tweeted. That's a great, like, it is an entertainment product at the end of the day, and especially when you think about. Like I, I sometimes think about how the the longer I work in baseball, the more I realize the owners matter, which is something you just don't realize as a fan. And I wish you realized that more as a fan. I, a modern day George Steinbrenner can, can be a lot of fun, which also has its own problems.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And it's it's um, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of fascinating. I I think you made the great point. Like, yeah, if this if this the end result, the, the process was a hell of a lot more interesting and fun than the end result. I guess.
2: Yeah, totally. He was almost Unless, like, yeah, it's well, a normal, we'll, that's a perfectly we'll, normal hire. Well, you know, every morning refresh, the Athletic, ESPN, see what see what news is coming out about Billy Eppler. He did oversee <laughs> uh, the Angels culture, which had its or the Angels club front office, which had its own culture problems. And I don't know how much of that. I'm not implying anything. I have no idea how much of that is, is to be blamed on him.
1: Yeah, um, you're you always get in so, that weird world, and I've talked about this at times with it, with um, with the Astros thing um yeah you know and people uh, and i get i still get asked once in a while like do you think jeff knew and i always say like a i don't know but b it doesn't matter because it happened on his watch that's that's the question right you know that's that's the question it, it did there are things that happened on billy uppers watch that were uh not good right um do you you're you're in new york mm-hmm. do you just feel like the mets are really bad at the it's not even PR it's kind of PR but it's kind of just like there's no reason this this search had to be as public as it was
2: that's true I don't I don't know why well it's a compounding problem the search had to be as public as it was because of how poorly I guess the search for the GM went last year and by poorly I mean mm. not just that it took a long time but that they ended up with Jared just, Porter like I think they the, it sometimes feels like when we talk about the Mets-ness of it all. It can feel like each isolated incident, such as it taking a long time to find a GM and ending up with someone sort of normal, is like, oh, it's only a big deal because people love to make fun of the Mets, but it's also a big deal because they hired someone who very quickly it turned out to be um, someone who, credit to the reporters, had done pretty shitty things in the past. And mm-hmm. like that, getting that wrong drew a spotlight to their process, which I think was deserved. And <laughs> so I think like the, I mean, the actual process itself was probably much weirder than it would have been in almost any other front office for reasons that, like, again, you could probably, if you wanted to dig down to the history of Mets, draw them back to things that are inherently Mets. But I think right. part of it is there's a lot of attention on the Mets because they're in New York. A lot of the attention, digs up things like the Jared Porter and Mickey Calloway stuff. Uh, Zach's got too, although I'm always low to lump him together because I think we're doing a disservice to more serious issues like sexual harassment. Um, but it's sort of like they the met where the Mets went wrong was in those hires and in giving people reason to be skeptical of the Not trust their process. their process. Yeah.
1: Right.
2: Right. So it's sort of it's silly because it's the Mets, but it's the reason there's all this attention on it is because they did they made some pretty high profile mistakes.
1: I mean, are the, are the Mets kind of a laughing stock in New York? Is it someone that just people yeah, yeah, make fun absolutely. of? Okay. Okay. That's just, <laughs> this my question. Like, you, you would know better than I would.
2: I, I had a um, – this is going to be my second reference to my mother this podcast. My mother is a huge Mets fan and also a lawyer. And I was talking to her and she was like, they're going to hire this lawyer in Pittsburgh. They could have just hired me. I'm closer. I'm in New Jersey.
0: <laughs> um,
2: and I was like, yeah, they could have hired Grandma too because her mother is an even bigger Mets fan. And my mother, who's an adult person in her 60s, like, hi, Grandma. Me, I should be the GM. Of the Mets. And I was like, "Oh, you were only sort of kidding." <laughs> I was, I, I thought we were doing a bit here, but no, you I, you meant you should be the GM of the Mets. I was,
1: I was almost mildly surprised that they didn't have any non-baseball candidates. I really thought that was coming, like they're going to bring in like some.
0: Well,
2: Billy was at sh- W-A. like a fancy,
1: like a fancy schmancy business administrator.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. You know who would you know would just kind of. Administer and and run baseball. Um, no,
2: they they went back to the agent pool.
1: They went back to that's right. Cause he, was, he was at William Morris for a little at, while. He was at
2: William and Morris for a little while.
1: Um, we did have actual baseball news, yes. um Which is despite the uh, impending labor problems, um, teams are behaving as if there will be a season as they should, um, and the surprising one. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more more about this come email time was Justin Verlander signing a two year deal uh, with the Astros at 25 million per um, the 25 million for 23 is guaranteed. It's a player option. Um, So if he's amazing, he can opt out and try to go get a bigger deal, but he's guaranteed 250. Um, I was surprised by the length at the same time. And now I'm going to go back to the Mets and the GM thing. I do wonder how much Jim Crane had to do with that one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much Jim Grant had to do with that one, both because they know and like each other, but also because he went back to the same team. And mm-hmm. we we're going to talk about Jose Barrios as well. Do you, I don't know this. I don't know this for a fact at all, so I guess I'm asking you. I'm curious whether or not you think we're getting moves like that where players return to teams they know, because that's easier to facilitate in this weird off season than it would be to... Signed somewhere new entirely. I mean, we did get some of that with uh, Syndergaard and, and Heaney, but...
1: Right. And um, and then Jose Barrios signed a, a very large extension. Um, basically, kind of 7-130 is going to get like a, you know... The way I saw it was like he's in the his last year, Arby's kind of getting 11 and then 20 for the rest of it. Um, so teams certainly are willing to spend
2: right now. Especially on pitchers yeah this this is a great pitcher market apparently i i didn't know we were gonna have such a good pitcher market um yeah uh, somewhere like max scherzer is like hell yeah this is great
1: (laughs) i do think guys like scherzer and like there's stories about like, like some bigger names marcus Simeon, trevor story like might sign um quote unquote early before december 1st which would be a surprise but i do think the the, the massive names, the Scherzers and the Krayers of the world, are going to wait until after. They're going to wait the market out. And um, I mean, Boris, very less of, you know, Boris in a normal year is always going to wait the market out. Um, but I feel like those ones are going to take a while still.
2: Well, I was thinking about that because I think the expectation is that the system that once we get a new CBA, it will be at least marginally more player friendly, but not necessarily in a way. You're right that affects these top free agents. So, I, I think they they'll wait because they're Boris clients and they like to wait. But I do think that like if you're a player who's thinking, well, is the future going to be more player friendly? Hopefully, probably is. Yeah, I think so. Um, but 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 it, I, I think it's almost going to be more player friendly in a way that affects some of the more middle class guys. Or at least it should. That's what the union should sort of should be working for is to get is to protect some of those more middle class veterans walk by and in doing so or doing so by getting the younger players paid earlier. But I think, I mean, I think these if I think if they get a good deal, these top guys. They should sign now they're not gonna i don't think their market is necessarily going to be affected by the right the and HH. that's something
1: we've, we've seen over the last decade really is kind of um just like america the eradication of the middle class um exactly. where like the the 20 25 30 million dollars those are there and they're always going to be what's really gone um and again really just in the last five ten years is like the three times eight that right. doesn't exist anymore you know, right. those are, uh, you know, that, that, you know, relievers might get that, but like the, the position players getting like a three times eight, like as a decent everyday guy who can fill a hole, like that's gone. Those, well, guys, those guys are getting one times threes.
2: We'll talk about labor at some point, but this is something that I've been, been thinking about a lot generally lately. It's just this idea that probably the least sexy thing in labor to talk about or think about is the major league minimum. But the effect that that actually ends up having is like, you know, the, that the if the lower the major league minimum relative to those middle class deals, the more appealing it is to not give those deals out. And that actually you can sort of incentivize some of those deals by just making the major league minimum so much higher that it's not like such a steal to not like those deals disappeared for a lot of reasons, but in part because like the difference between what you're paying in free agency and what you're paying to the zero to three guys is so great.
1: Right. The rule set incentivized it. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about something cause I know you've been, I know it's something you've been thinking about, but the, the Arizona fall league wrapped up. Um, and, uh, I was there for some of the, the last week of it. And, um, the Arizona fall league was experimenting with a lot of rule changes, much like major league baseball did with a lot of the minor leagues this year. And, and seeing it in person was, was kind of fascinating. And, um, the first AFL game I went to was um, an absolute shit show of a baseball game. It was 15 to 10. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was, and it, that was only because things calmed down for the last four innings. Um, it was 15 to 10. There were, I don't have the box going in front of me. There were 173 walks. There were errors. There was multiple box. There were tons of, of uh, middle of the inning pitching changes. It was a shit show. But there was a pitch clock, and that game was over in 315. And there's been some talk about the pitch clock. Um, we had J.J. People Cooper on talking the about pitch the pitch clock. clock. It. I can't believe this game was three fifteen. And someone said, "Why? How, how is this game only 315? I just went pitch clock. I think that, that pitch clock is worth 15 to 25 minutes. And with all of the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth over game length, I think the pitch clock solves literally everything.
2: Did you find that it made the baseball play more interesting better is probably the wrong term because the, the i mean it's certainly probably... more
1: com- it's, it's more compelling because it just keeps happening like yeah. baseball baseball keeps keeps baseballing as opposed to you know the, these huge you know walks off the mounds and sitting and, and 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 pulling out of the box and readjusting everything just the fact that baseball keeps baseballing i think makes the game more compelling um but it's you know a, a normal game with a pitch clock i think like 240 245 is a reasonable expectation
2: that sounds great. I mean, with, with just the pitch
1: clock, and that's with that with only that rule, with just the pitch clock, and I'm all for it. I've I've, I've come around. i around. I'm all for a pitch clock.
2: I, everyone I've talked to who isn't who's seen it, it's a who, Everyone I've talked to who's seen it is all for it. I have not talked to players, so <laughs> maybe they don't like it. Um, I, it's interesting. I don't watch. I don't go to games every day because I'm not a beat writer, and so I don't. I don't watch like. Sit down at a baseball game, and watch nine innings, every, like day in and day out, until it's the postseason. Right, which I understand is like the most extreme part of the season in terms of this slowness. But oh my god, having just come off, like you do, to cover a month, I cover you know the postseason and I'm watching games every single night, and it really the lack of baseball, like you're saying. The baseball keeps baseballing. The baseball does not keep baseballing as it is. And that is such a weird experience. It's like, I find that actually it is more noticeable in person even than on TV, which is not good. Like that's a, I like, maybe I'm, this is going to be like a bad thing to admit, but I watch a lot of baseball on TV because I don't. I don't go to every single game, and then I go to the postseason. I go to every single game, and I think it's almost harder to stay engaged because there's so much downtime, and like it's it's you feel. I almost think you feel the downtime more in person. I don't know if that's yeah, bad. no,
1: I I think you're right. and like I, I'm I'm totally cool with a four hour game that's ten to eight, and and yeah. you know things running around. But it's I think it's weird when like a three to one game goes three forty.
2: It's it's like it's really bad in the postseason. it drags. It drags. It drags and it makes you think like, did I miss a pitch? That's the thing that I always, that's the thing that always makes me feel like I'm not paying close enough attention. (laughs) Right. Is that I'll be like, did I miss a pitch? And then i will be like, oh no, I didn't miss a pitch. And that's somehow more surprising. (laughs) Right. I just
1: went to the Bahamas in my brain for about three minutes and it's still a 2-1 count with a guy in second.
2: Um, Okay. So we're huge fans of the pitch clock. I have like no compunction about this whatsoever. Put it in next year. Make it 15 seconds. That sounds great. I can't wait to see it at Big League Games. Um, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I hope they, so. They do seem excited.
1: But I know you've been thinking a little bit also about the ball and strike system.
2: Yes, which was I in place
1: this... was in place in the, Ameri- in the in the Arizona Fall League and I had an interesting week in discussing this exact issue. So uh, in Arizona, um, I heard a lot of people complaining about it mm. the, and, and uh, including at one point the word disaster um and at times it was it was and actually like it was missing down the middle balls that was like the weak point of the system it was like down the middle balls it was called it was saying it was a ball and i lots of people i talked to you know quite a few people about it and a lot of people who and i didn't find anyone who really dug it man burn it out dude whatever that oh, dude's wow. doing yeah All right. i live on
2: the loudest corner and in... that was awesome um... um
1: and so guys doing donuts in the parking lot next to you um and so everyone complained about it and then I was speaking with a team executive who was not in Arizona. And he said, and I was talking about, it, I said, yeah, everyone hates it. They say it's a disaster. And he said, really? I said, yeah. He goes, that is not what was presented to us at the GM meetings. Mm, I said, Ro, oh, what were you told? He goes, we were told it was great. And here was the accuracy and everything looked really good and stuff. I said, that's not what people utilizing this thing are. So I don't know where this thing's at right now.
2: So I'll work backwards from what I've heard in terms of like their verdict. What I've heard is that the opinion on it hasn't gone up and it hasn't gone down. And I said that sounds really boring to the person who told me that. And they said it's not boring because the opinion on a lot of things, see the pitch clock has gone way up in seeing it in action. <laughs> so so I think the what I've heard is that I haven't heard as much. I guess I've I probably talked to fewer people than you, but uh like I've talked to some of the decision makers who say we're not so sure. There, were, <laughs> there were some good things and some bad things. Um, when which, you say
1: decision makers, like people in 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 New York, the commissioner's yes. office. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And
2: they were they were sort of like, well, we're not. We it we they well, and this is what's interesting based on what you were just saying about the it missing picture down the middle. I've heard sort of universally, technology's perfect. We love the technology; it works great. We just sort of need to decide how we want to implement it and if we want to implement it. Um, and the how we want to implement it is what's really interesting to me, uh, in terms of like what the strike zone should be. So I think, and you are smart, and the people you talk to in baseball are smart. So you, maybe you don't have debatable,
1: this, like on bo- on, maybe, maybe on both sides, <laughs> but yeah.
2: But like, I think I think from a pure fan perspective, the sense is like every time there's a blown call, it's like, ugh, ah, Robo arms would fix that. Perfect strike zone, just make it perfect. All I want is for it to be perfect going forward. But that implies that like. The strike zone that the umps are trying to call the human umps is the perfect one. And that was missing yeah. it. Yeah. And I think the it's really interesting when you sort of dig into to that. Like what you saw At the Atlantic League is not the same strike zone they had, or sorry, we said the Arizona Fall League was not the same strike zone they had in the Atlantic League. Mm -hmm. The one they had at the beginning of the season in the Atlantic League is not the same as what they had at the end of the season. Uh, It's not the same as what they had necessarily in Low A Southwest. Like, they've been working on sort of. tinkering with the strike zone itself and when I've talked to people about this something that I have said this is like totally just my opinion here is I don't know you want to go down that road because that's what the league has been dealing with with the baseball (laughs) people don't necessarily like when the league has control of something that affects sort of every pitch um because they tend to then hold the league accountable when they don't like the game um and so I sort of was talking to people at the league about this around how, are you sure you want to... Not that they're necessarily taking consulting advice from me, but I just thought, this is going to be a problem. If you're going to set a strike zone. There's going to be, you know, strikeouts are going to be way up, and then you're going to be like, oh, shit, now we need to change the strike zone, and then that's going to affect things like free agency and arbitration cases. <laughs> yeah, there's.
1: Def- <laughs> and- I think there's definitely, like, if if I if you want, if you're, like, you know, one of those people who's like, robo-womps, now, blah, like, there's definitely some unintended consequences when we switch to this. Some things are going to happen and there are going to be I firmly believe there are pitchers who are suddenly going to become much better and or much worse because yeah. of this.
2: But specifically in sort of what shape of strike zone they settle on and one of the things that I thought was interesting, I, mean, I just hadn't thought of this, so maybe other people have, that in talking to some people they've said, well that's sort of the point, we want to be able to tinker with the strike zone. For the purpose of shaping the on-field product in the same way that all of mm-hmm. these rules are designed to do—to sort of get more balls in play, to encourage base hits, and and that sort of thing—I think that still feels like a big Pandora's box to me. I think my yeah, my, my sure. you know, like like my general uh, conclusion, in the way that I feel about ABS is that. And maybe the technology even isn't there if people are concerned about it missing calls, but it just seems like it's like like that's a Pandora's box that changes everything. I think we don't even know how much it changes. There's a question in our in our reader question part coming up that will also touch on this. And that's like that you're talking about like pitchers that will do better or worse, and then there's sort of catchers that how much that'll change that position and, and oh, yeah, base yeah. do you don't and, even
1: care about framing anymore.
2: Yeah, it's just I think it's I think it is like I think we are years away from being being well aware of like all the possible things that this will touch. And specifically, just like what it means for the league to be able to change the strike zone wholesale overnight in every Right,
1: game. by hitting a button. Yeah. Do you think that we're close to having this in the big leagues?
2: I don't think we are as close as some people think we are i agree with um, you like the general
1: like the general sense was like even people were bitching about it like it's all like it's coming it's just not ready for primetime yet
2: and i think the general sense among fans is maybe that it's coming imminently like i think i think sort of of all the things that got tested dating back a couple years now dating back to like 2019 and i Mm -hmm. covered like i remember i went to the atlantic league game that had the first Robo-Ump back in the middle of the season in 2019. I went to that game and I wrote about it because, of course, because Robo-Ump's, they're coming. I wrote in 2019 about the first game of the Robo-Ump. That winter, I went to umpire camp down in Florida and wrote about what does it mean to be an umpire when robots are coming for your job. And all of that felt very much like, all right, they're rolling it out. And I don't know that they're rolling it out. (laughs) I think think they're still in the talking phase.
1: (laughs) So uh, we talked about and you're going to listen to this in a second but we, we obviously we already recorded the the Evan interview with Evan Charles about labor we, we talked about over unders on some labor issues and things like that using dates um you know if, if some Las Vegas sports book called you and said what should we send, set the over under on in terms of having an, an automatic ball strike system in the major leagues what would what would you say
2: I would honestly say like 2025 I might I might put it at like once the next I guess we're five years from the next CBA so that would be 2026 even I think. Well, I also think. So sort of the, some of the things we were alluding to. It affects players a lot. I know that the, the manager right. can unilaterally and, and therefore affects salaries. The one, yeah. Like I think the I think the union is going to want a heavy hand in talking about the implementation of automated ball strikes. Um, I'm not even sure. I'm not. I'm not even sure. I would say it's 100 percent going to happen. Oh hi, President Pierce. <laughs> he's
1: he's barking at underpants.
2: Um. Yeah, I would, I would put it, like, I think that it's almost certainly next CBA territory, because, yeah. I, because I think it's going to be a contentious fight with the union if and when it's ready to start getting rolled out. And I think they need all that time, so... Yeah, it's going to be a while. Watch the experiments. Uh, It'll be fun. Next year, I'll go to the AFL.
1: Uh, what's not going to be a while was talking to Evan Drellick about baseball's labor problem, which you will hear after... A a wonderful song from Model Home, and then we'll come back, talk about Model Home, some more labor stuff, do your emails, all that kind of stuff. Stick around. podcast special guest time our special guest is the former houston astros beat writer for the houston chronicle he then moved to the athletic and i don't know what his actual title is but his beat is when shitty things happen on the business side of baseball he's your person and joining us from beautiful queens it's evan drelic evan how are you
3: good morning kevin i'm doing all right there was a few stops in between houston and the athletic i've you know i've worked at like eight different outlets but your life's very
1: complicated though i can't keep track of it no,
2: and I, I don't like to think that. he would also write about good things that happened in business and baseball, not just the shitty ones.
1: I don't think that's on brand for Evan.
3: <laughs> what are what are good things? Like somebody gets a corporate sponsorship deal done. Like, is that good? Is that yeah, the story exactly. Shohei
2: Otani, now the face of crypto globally. Very exciting.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. New naming rights deal. Hooray! See,
1: always the cynic, and that's why he should be covering this beat. Evan, I want to talk to you about labor. So okay. I was going to have you on to talk about labor and like kind of the last thing we had was a very kind of strange thing at the GM meetings where Rob Manfred had his usual press availability at the GM meetings and then sitting next to him was Tony Clark and there was almost a strangely optimistic tone to it and it all yeah I don't maybe we're all damaged didn't trust it and then yesterday you start tweeting because Rob Manfred said some things and all of a sudden things don't sound so good what happened?
3: Well, Rob was at the owners' meetings in Chicago kind of lending credence to what we all know is coming, which is a lockout. He was explaining the difference between having a lockout that lasts into a season, that cancels some games, and a lockout that just exists in the winter. The one thing he said that was odd, he said he doesn't think there's a single fan who doesn't understand the difference between those. I don't think most fans know the difference between a lockout and a strike, and— that they both fit into this little umbrella of a work stoppage. I think Rob was sitting there as a labor lawyer who's done this for decades and forgetting that the public doesn't know how these things work. And oh, by the way, the sport hasn't seen one of these types of things in 26 years. So no, no one's going to know how this works.
2: I thought that was really alarming. Sorry, I'm cutting it. My, I, I, as a as a testament to how untrue it is that the regular fan knows the difference between a lockout and a strike, uh, I am the child of a labor lawyer, which means my siblings are also the child of a labor lawyer. And we're also all huge baseball fans. And the other day, my sister asked me, what is a CBA? So <laughs> I don't think it's true that all fans are aware that if it happens on December 2nd, it's a lockout. And if it, yeah, that's, that, was a, that was a huge uh, vote of confidence in, I guess, his fan base, which is fair from Rob. <laughs>
1: And and another thing is just that the way this has been explained to me by somebody who's who's way up there with the team is is that if the if the, there is a if, if we the CBA expires and they don't agree to an extension, which is a possibility, that's that's there's historical precedence for that. They might get to December first and go, you know, we're talking. There's some progress. We're not going to have a stoppage. We're going to keep talking. We're going to extend where we are for a couple of weeks. But if we don't do that and expires on December first, the way it was explained to me was that if there is a lockout, it really is just kind of the next legal step to when it expires, you lock them out. Like it's not necessarily, um, an act of aggression as much as it is, is kind of a a legal necessity.
3: Well, this defined necessity, right? They don't, the owners don't technically have to do it, but there's a reason the CBA expires December 1st rather than March 20th, 10 days before opening day, which is, that that would also be my
1: birthday and you wouldn't want to do it then. Oh, what, what are we doing for your birthday? Do we have any I, plans? It's March 20th. I have, right, I, don't I don't know what I'm, I'm doing week. next week.
3: <laughs> right. So, no, it's not a, a technical necessity, but it, there is some validity to the notion that if you have a lockout, you're going to put pressure on both sides and that will, will potentially help you avoid uh, missing some games. There's also other potential, at least ancillary benefits that certainly ownership could reap by having a lockout, you'd be delaying free agency. And just, I think the the general consensus is not every agent agrees with this, but if you wait and make players wait to sign contracts, they're gonna feel pressure. So if you condense free agency down into like a, I don't know, two or three week period before spring training starts, um, you know, maybe the the owners want to see that. That's not something they mind seeing. Mm -hmm. And maybe they feel like they just don't have that much to lose. Why not test the players' resolve? And even on the players' side, why not test ownership's resolve? So it's all felt very inevitable to me and I, I imagine to others.
1: Um, you know, the the last CBA that got done was seen as a bit of a, not even a bit, a big win for the owners, if you will. They kind of, like the players were kind of focused on creature comforts for for the upper class of their union. It was about, cooks and better buses and spring trainings and things like that and all of the kind of for lack of a better term real labor issues just kind of got kicked down the road and and now here we are and you know I don't think Rob says what he says yesterday if they're close so I don't think they're close Uh, I mean do you anticipate I mean obviously you anticipate some sort of work stoppage everybody seems to but do you anticipate uh, the players kind of digging in on real issues and and not bus rides, but actual things like service time manipulation and and competitive balance and and things like that. So I don't know how long ago this was some number of weeks, maybe
3: probably not more than two months ago, maybe a month ago at this point, I, I had a story at The Athletic that was trying to trace what happened basically over the last two CBAs. It extends it back a little bit further. But how did we get here? And the story began talking about this creature comfort narrative. And even today. Five years later, after that uh, deal got done, that the 2016, the 2017 to 21 deal that's still in place, the 2016 negotiations, there are still people on both sides of that fence that will argue either way to say, absolutely, the players were focused on the total wrong things. They, they were focused on, you know, comfortable, comfortable buses and uh, missed the ball. And then there are others who say it's total BS. It was a narrative that came out right away, and people shouldn't believe it, and here are the reasons why. The players back in 16 did make economic proposals to change a lot of the stuff that they're focused on now. It's not like they had totally missed everything that was going on. So it it wasn't a question of total ignorance. What seems to be, to me, the thing that happened is They didn't realize the importance of immediate action, of of urgency, that these issues, if they didn't act on them then in 16, uh, could mushroom and create more problems for them in in worse ways than they had seen before. And the other thing was in 16, they weren't ready for a work stoppage. And Mm -hmm. often in bargaining, that's really the only power you have. Sure, there's some horse trading. Yeah, we'll give you the expanded playoffs and you'll give us something back we like or something like that. But at the end of the day, if you want to make a really significant change, usually the only leverage is I'm not showing up for work on either side there. Um, So, yeah, since 16, it's been clear there could be animosity this go around and nothing in the time since has given anybody any reason to be like, yeah, they're going to get together and and make this thing work easy peasy.
1: Uh, Can you talk about, you know, obviously the pandemic has affected every aspect of everyone's life um you know 2020 was a obviously a very shortened season in empty ballparks 2021 was a normal season in terms of length but still we started with empty ballparks and then um you know depending on where you are and the local politics of the city you play in um you know you, there was a slow ramp up to attendance but it certainly was not by any stretch uh, a, a scare quotes normal season um, how does the last two seasons affect we were, where we are going because the owners – I'm not going to say losses because it's bullshit. The owners did not make as much money as they usually make.
3: The intuitive answer there is because they made less money than they normally do and, and some had operational losses, in, certainly in 2020, uh, where they, they were inside of that year only taking in less money than they were spending on payroll. Uh, that doesn't go to franchise value, doesn't go to their overall uh, <clears throat> financial state, doesn't, you know, they're doing fine. N- yeah, none of these people are, are in trouble. Um, the intuitive answer with with that experience for owners is that having a work stoppage, particularly one that affects games because it only hurts them if, if games are affected, is something they're not going to want. You, you don't want to compile losses upon losses. That There's something of a competing argument, which is that, well, they've already gone through it and… They might be therefore more emboldened to stand up for what they need. Um, I, I don't quite know how to slice that either way. I, I haven't been a billionaire at this stage of my life, so it's, it's, a, little, it's a little tough for me to put myself uh, in their shoes. I, but I'm inclined to believe the former, that because there were losses in recent years, they're going to be less inclined to lose money, particularly for something that um, you know is avoidable in the work stoppage mm-hmm. going up i don't know if hannah or, or or you kg have a different feeling but that's that's as much as i can glean from that
2: i have a question about the the, the sort of leverage of a work stoppage in the off season in particular because this is right this is that we're getting it going to get a lockout probably to prove preempt a strike that could happen in season like 94 they don't want that so we'll get a lockout first and everybody seems to agree right we're gonna get some sort of work stoppage in this offseason and hopefully it'll be resolved in time to prevent games if everybody thinks that does the leverage sort of work that's my my question is like does it just sort of put the deadline somewhere else and it functions the same way like what do you see evan as sort of the two sides what are they gaining leverage-wise from a work stoppage that takes place in the offseason? Maybe it is what you were sort of saying around condensing free agency and making the players more desperate. But Because I do believe that, right, they're they're more prepared for a work stoppage now than they were in 2016, and that puts them in a stronger position. But how do they leverage that if the work stoppage is in the offseason?
3: Well, that's really the million-dollar question. It could be a billion-dollar question. Is How long does it last? Because if there's no pressure point for these players, sides prior to I guess the start of spring training but really it's the date in spring training at which the regular season starts to get affected so the pandemic in 2020 the the summer camp or whatever we called that the 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 second spring training that lasted what about three to four weeks that's Mm -hmm. probably the minimum amount of time you'd need for spring training so whatever the day is that uh you'd have to start a shortened spring training to get in a full regular season is really the day, I think, when everything starts to matter more because that's when they're both gonna feel the paychecks. And and so there isn't this great compelling reason in December or January to get a deal done because they don't have money coming in. Yeah, the whole world, baseball fans and uh, media and everybody will be um, cranky and they'll alienate people. <laughs> uh if they don't have a deal before then but it 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 really does come down to which side is most unified and are both or one willing to take their set of positions um to the point that their side misses paychecks you know and and that's the thing i can't handle like uh, for example at the owners meetings a few of us in the media, we're, you know, just amongst ourselves trying to set over-unders. What's the, what's the, the right over-under to set? January 15th seems to be a good one to me because if you don't have a deal done by the end of, uh, near the end of December, well, then you're into Christmas, then you're into the new year's. Um, and then January 15th is basically asking, are you going to get a deal done right before spring training would start or not? Um, you know, do you think it takes into February, uh, to get a deal? So. I don't know. You get you guys take a guess as to when this thing goes.
1: It's. I mean, I've talked to to, to people with with teams about this, and and the general sentiment was like, if things go south on December first, like December is going to be very quiet. Like it's just going to be like you said. There's no reason to get a deal done. There's no leverage on either side. And speaking purely in terms of logistics. Like the minimum, and it would be a rush job. If you want to get spring training starting on time, you'd have to have a deal done by February first. That would give you two weeks to get going for spring training and get all your shit down there and get ready. Um, and to not delay the season would probably be February fifteenth. You could do a March first spring training and still. But you could have a you could have a time.
3: a a shortened spring training. You don't have to have six weeks of spring training.
1: Yeah, well, I was saying like March first, like would be probably the shortest yeah. spring training you could do, and that would make a February fifteenth deadline. Um, do you think the players, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like we know or we learn more about what the owner's side is saying than the player side is saying in the media. Um, and I do, I think that's intentional. Um, but do you feel like the players are more, you know, regardless of the narrative of the last CBA, do you think that the, the, the players are more entrenched on, on these, again, I'll, I'll use the term real issues?
3: yes certainly that's what they i don't have a reason to believe they're not uh that's what they're they're, they're projecting uh i've spoken to some players in the last uh, couple weeks here it, it and you've you've heard and seen some of it i i think over time players have become more outspoken about these issues uh, you know not just anonymously so you guys uh, put their names to it mm-hmm. you know as far as the the ownership versus player dissemination thing how much can I say about this? The, you can say I, everything, I, I, Evan. You say you it
1: all. Say
2: everything,
3: you isn't... should say everything, <laughs> I, I Evan. I sit there a lot of time. I think here's what I think kind of throws me a little bit or, or just like makes me look sideways or, or whatever the right description of my reaction is. There's always a presumption, or an assumption that something has been leaked. I think I said this on Uh, uneffectively wild like that basically everyone thinks that someone is standing on a corner like a street corner with a leaflet saying here is our latest position go write it right and and, you know i get that in a lot of sports reporting that is very prominent transactional like i'm thinking of particularly the other sports uh it's very easy to assume that like an agent just calls up a certain uh, very prominent insider and says, "Hey, here's the latest news on my guy right and that could be a very fraught thing um, in 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 the the reporting that I do and that Ken Rosenthal will sometimes do with me and I imagine that you know Hannah's done some of this and, and that others do it's really very rarely that simple where it, it there's usually a piece of information that we come upon uh, through conversations with someone and then we have to start. Pulling on it and going after it. Um, so sometimes, you know, we'll write something and then, and then I, or I'll write something and I'll see like, oh, this came from that side. It's like, you have no idea where
2: any of this came I'm from. I'm glad you say that because I also, I was going to say, if they were calling you up and saying, here's our latest position, then you're getting better treatment than I am. Because, right, yeah, it's not... It's and it's and yet they both seem both sides seem to think that that's what's happening. But wait, a <laughs> it's, what, but it's not, well, the I, public I, as
3: well, though. Yeah,
1: but yeah it's, it's uh, not yeah, just the public. As a member of kind of the kind of the public, as someone who does not speak to uh, either side directly in writing about labor, I, I, I have to say that it feels like most of the stuff that is that gets out there, regardless of the process that got it out there, comes seems to come from the owner side. I'm is that is that a misperception uh, do you think like, i, do I feel, don't i feel I don't like think i know when, i feel like i like the owners so you know hey the owners you know made this proposal about like a, you know a salary floor and lowering um you know lowering the tax threshold you know the owners did this the owners did that i, I feel like i read more that the owners have proposed this and i don't necessarily read that the players have proposed that and Maybe that's a negotiation dynamic that we don't know about where the the owners tend to throw things over and the players say no, and then they don't necessarily provide a position. I have no idea, but it feels like that's, you know, again, as someone who doesn't, I'm not someone who reports on labor issues in in terms of trying to talk to or get stuff from both sides, like it feels like most of the stuff that gets out there does come from the owner side.
3: So uh, let me speak about this kind of generally, right? Just because there's reporting on an ownership proposal does not mean that the s- original source of the information or the tip or what or the you know conversation that leads reporters at any outlet to it necessarily came from ownership it is probably the case that somewhere in the process it, it's obligatory that you check with
1: yeah no um, i'm not again like i'm not blame i'm just saying like that's it feels like
3: Maybe yeah they're there simply could be...
1: more they're simply more leaky like I it just feels like that's more there were more the information comes well what I'm... but
3: but let me play devil's advocate yeah what if what if people on you know people connected to players felt that it was to their benefit for the public to know what um owners were proposing as opposed to the other way right it, it the the instinct yeah, that sure necessary...
1: I mean yeah no I yeah I I I hear what you're saying, and, yeah. and I, I get it. Like, and I'm saying, like, regardless of process, it feels like just we hear more from the of what the owners are are you know sliding across the table.
2: Well, Evan can cut me off if I'm wrong, but I think KJ, you might have actually been onto something when you when you attributed a little bit to the way the negotiation is actually sort of playing out in mm. terms of who's proposing more right i, I, I have I no idea think- if the
1: players have slid it. i have even made a proposal of we want this this and that it just feels like maybe the owners have done stuff and the players have said that's not good enough
3: um yeah i, I it'd be i think at this point in time we know m- what the what the owners have proposed have seemed more radical because it's more of a system change yes. and therefore it's probably drawn more attention the the, the fan arbitration stuff um
2: that's what I was sort of alluding to, right? I, yeah, think, it, I think it's partially attributed to what is getting proposed.
3: I think we actually know more detail, not, not a ton of details, but we know more specifics at this point, actually, about what the players are, have gone after mm-hmm. than, than the league. Um, like, we know more about uh, the players' proposal in the draft. Um, well, that's not true. It's really? simply that the players, the do players, you. have proposed more in the
1: draft player? than the others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn a statement into a question then. Like, do you feel like I, I won't? Do you, do you feel like one side, that side being the owners, try to have try to use the press in a way to to um, to influence public reaction in labor negotiations?
3: Both sides are going. So, so thus far, in the, like think back to last year, last summer, when you had the whole pandemic mm. fight and there were letters that were coming out mm. um, and, they, and they were yelling at each other quite publicly. They have very deliberately not done that thus far. Both sides, the, 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 you know, you're not seeing when Manfred has a press conference at the owners meetings, they're not commenting on the substance of negotiations because both sides feel that. Their negotiations can proceed better without that environment. That's going to last like another week at most. In the days leading up to to the expiration of the CBA, that's going to change. Um, both sides will eventually try to use the press to their advantage, and that's always something you got to navigate here. Um, it, as far as one side doing it more than the other, I I think. Yeah, I, I think I can say this. I think one side, you guys can figure out which side I think one side uh, has that makes Come a little on, bit more, Evan. Ad- I think side? I think there's a little bit more obfuscation from one side mm. um, is, is how I would put it. That, that, that's been what I've felt and seen thus far. Um, but re- remember, this the the, the the real fun is hasn't started yet. Give, give it another week.
1: Wow, the fun. Do you, do you find this fun? Do you do you have fun covering labor strife?
3: Um, I find it very interesting. I think it's the levers of power in the sport. If we've kind of come to the conclusion that everything, not everything on the field is random, but a lot of what we see is random. I I do enjoy it. I enjoy the the strong characters involved, the intelligence involved. Uh, I do sometimes feel it. it you know, it, it is an insular topic. This isn't. We're, we're, working toward world peace here, right? am, am I dedicating my time and my energy to something that is um, uh, rather meaningless, but we don't have to get too existential here. Um, so yeah, I do enjoy, it. what I don't enjoy is the constant acrimony. A lot of the conversations are also not on the record, which is uh, uh, annoying, it's not good for the public, it's not good for the reporter, it's not ideal. It's certainly something we see a, a lot in politics and in other areas of reporting. Um, so it, 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 and every sentence has to be painstaking, you know, because you got lawyers on both sides and, and, and people in the sport are kind of hanging on every word. And, it, you know, one slightly different sentence can mean something considerably different. So it's a lot of it's a pain in the ass beat. Ultimately, I like it. Do I want to still be covering baseball CBA at the age of like 50? I'm not sure about that.
1: Yeah, don't look 50 till you tried it, Evan. Um <laughs> so Wasn't do, you, it. do you feel i mean forget, forget about like dates and over-unders and things like that like do you feel like when this is over and it's going to be over at some point there'll be a cba agreement do you feel like this is over that the structures of baseball in terms of the rule set if you will like the the rule set that you know incentivizes tanking the rule set that uh allows for roster manipulation the rule set that that incentivizes teams at times not to put their best team on the, on their big league field um, service time, arbitration, free agency, the, the, the big rules, the big things that we're going to that we're all talking about that don't seem to change. Do you think this is the time when we get to the other side and get and see the light down the tunnel and get through that tunnel? And here we go. We're going to play baseball. Do you think those things are going to be slightly different, radically different, the same? Where where, where do you think we're going to end up here? Everything the players are projecting is that it
3: it needs to move in their direction. So it would be weird to me if we came out of this. Well, put it this way. If we come out of this and you don't see something that that some element or set of elements that have significantly changed, then the players will have effectively failed in their mission. So I said Mm. earlier that the million dollar, billion dollar question is how long does this thing last? The other one is does, does the do the players accomplish what they wanted to accomplish and and do the owners effectively break the union or if that's too strong a way to put it you know do the owners with, withstand this this test that is different than probably any other in a quarter century you know it, it would probably go a long way for owners if they're able to bat this thing down. You know what? So are the players going to try again in another four years? Are they going to have more resolve at that point if if they were to effectively lose this lockout? So, you know, the players' proposals are—I guess you could say—radical in so much as it would uh, allow players to get to arbitration earlier. It would allow some players to get to even to free agency sooner if they're of a certain age. It, but it's 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 not totally redesigning every piece of the system. It's, it's taking components that are already there and saying, let's do, let's do X, Y, Z differently let's with a different the broken econom- parts. Right. Right. Whereas, you know, to this point, the owner's proposals have, have, have seemed more different. I think the proposals in the, in the few days leading up to December 1st are going to start to look, um, what's the word? I I think they're going to start to move closer together. That's kind of the natural process of bargaining. You've really had basically only your opening stances so far. And the proposals have been very slow, which is why when Rob Manfred says, we're so focused on getting a deal done, then why have there been so few proposals if you're so focused on getting a deal done? If you really wanted to avoid a lockout, you know, you could have been sending proposals back and forth every other week since April, right? The bargaining has been going on for a while. So... Uh, there's, there's something of an intentional slope play, um, on one, if not both sides. And, you know, the other side, when one side gets an offer, doesn't like the other goes, well, we're not going to bargain against ourselves. We can't, uh, we can't respond to this. And then you get these big delays and, and here we are a, a couple weeks out. So I, KG, I don't know. I don't think they're going to fix everything. Um, I think if the players are successful, they will make a gain or a set of gains that we can point to. The one thing that I do think will change is draft order, because it seems like both of them are on, uh, in, in some agreement, that there's got to be some modification. There's got to be some limit on how many team, on how many years in a row you can pick in the top five.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, okay, it's prediction time. Everyone's going to be involved. Uh, we're going to grade this on a scale of zero to 100. Zero is absolutely not happening. And 100 is absolutely happening. Are you ready? Ready. Yes. Will the CBA expire on December 1st with a lockout on December 2nd? Evan.
3: 99.
1: Hannah.
2: That's what I was going to say.
1: 99. I'm going to go 98.9 then, just to be different. Uh, Spring training begins on time. December 14th with, with players showing up somewhere around, um, rather, somewhere, around, somewhere around Valentine's Day. Players go to Florida and Arizona with a CBA in place. Hannah.
2: Oof. 70.
1: Evan. 85. I'm going to go 60. Hmm. Opening day is on time and we play a full season with a new CBA. Evan.
3: 92.
1: Hannah. 85. Go 83. So it sounds like everything's gonna be okay. It's just gonna be a nightmare of a winner. Is that is that do you think that's right?
2: Well, December will be great. I'm not doing shit in December. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the problem
3: um that I think both sides could encounter is what is the issue that you're I keep saying the hill that they're gonna die on. I just don't like that phrase, but that is what I'm talking about. What is the one thing you're going to plant your flag on and say, this is it? This is the thing that we are not going to play for. And neither side has really identified that yet publicly. I imagine they know it privately, and I think yeah. there's some strategy around it. Um, so, so maybe that becomes moot if, if there is a point at which they identify it. But it is kind of notable that two weeks prior to a lockout, neither I, I, at least I don't see it. What is that one thing? That one thing you have to have. On either side, that's going to allow you to shut down the sport, kind of in in good faith, um, or, or 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 feeling a very strong conviction that we have to do this. Um, I'm waiting for one or both sides to identify those
1: issues. I I, I was going to finish this, I but something Hannah said has me asking. I want to ask you a mechanics question, Evan, because Hannah said like I, you know I'm not going to do shit in December, and that's a wonderful idea, but. Like, oh, no, she's lying. She will. I know, but I Evan, will.
2: I'm kidding. If my right, listeners but, are listening, I promise to work.
1: <laughs> but so, but here's the question: If if shit goes south, and we have you know, and we have the lockout on December second, and all that good stuff, like Evan, your job, 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 ostensibly is is often to write about labor issues, um, and you know, it it's the media, and you got to kind of feed the beast, and if both teams are just kind of in a staring contest for a month, which is the likely end result of a lockout. Do you kind of at times feel forced to just, I got to write something?
3: No, I, th- I haven't run into those moments. Um, and I don't think in this setting I will, because there's going to be, there's so many topics involved that on, on a given day, if, if I just wanted to have a conversation with myself, you know and or or learn more about a subject and just share that with readers it's really it, there's so much you could you could do here right you don't necessarily have to have the latest bargaining update you can even look at the the, the some of the work for example i did this year um you know like i spent time doing a big thing on marvin miller marvin miller is not a part of these negotiations a, except maybe philosophically and spiritually at times on the player side um so there's always something you can do you know if mm-hmm. if, if if you want to sit there and write about Well, let's say arbitration is a big topic, okay. Well, when did the players allow it to go from three years to two? Well, that was in the 80s. What happened then? Why don't you do a story on that, right? And somebody can, you know, feel free to go write that story. But. well, I no, I, I'm not going to run out of uh, of stories to write. I also
2: think, I think we're all sort of becoming a nerd to this idea that there's going to be a lockout because it feels so <laughs> inevitable and we talk about it all the time. But it would be a really big deal. I mean, the first month of a work stoppage in baseball in 26 years will probably get, I don't know, like – politicians weighing in efforts to leverage public opinion there will be news around the idea that there's a work stoppage for the first time the, the
3: um, kevin the, the, it's the beat writers the beat writers are the ones who are you know gonna i think be in a tougher spot not me right this is this is this is my world series i've I, I i'm gonna be just fine it's it's the it's the other writers i think who are gonna have to um you know probably We don't, different who forms don't, who don't have
1: transactions
3: yeah that, yeah that then it becomes harder for them so they're gonna have to find stories in other places
1: well evan i want to thank you for coming on and and depressing all of us it's it's something that <laughs> you've uh you've really always been good at and you're in the perfect place for it right now i um, miss
3: talking to you KJ.
1: <laughs> if you want to follow evan on twitter i don't even have your twitter in front of you where do you go to follow evan on twitter
3: it's just well you go to twitter.com first and then it's at evan Drellick.
1: And he'll be there, and you can read it, and he'll tweet out his stories, and every once in a while, Ken Rosenthal will insert himself into them. Um, Evan, I want to thank you for coming on, and I hope you have a fun uh, next 12 days or so.
3: I'm going to go get an allergy test right now. Wish me luck. Thanks, KG. Thanks, Hannah.
1: (laughs) Have a good time.
0: Through the goggles, ship as the woke and Bottle figure, leader, them out and watch the world follow Turn K the cat hey. so much. Don't want it all, just wanna make it from my heart Rollin' I had a Go through goggles, sip as the bones get swallowed. Bottle watch the world follow. Sink head they it out, I will be I to I want wanna make I wanna it I I I'm talking way back. Talking way way back, way 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 back, way 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 back, way way back, 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 way way back, 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 you're my favorite, I like go through, i as the world gets warm. I'm how to make it lead them watch the world i so don't want to, try to make it from my heart. wonder how it is, getting hot Don't let the fire burn out. Nah. Nah. Nah, nah, way back, way back, way back. Way back. I'm a to back, I'm way back, I'm way back, it is, Let the, the fire burn now! Way back, way back, way back, way back. Way back, 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 way back. Way back, way back. Way back, way back. Way back, way back.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks to Evan for joining us to talk about labor. When well, I told you Evan was joining us to talk about labor, you were very excited. You seemed to... Uh, I know this has been something you've been thinking and 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 talking and writing about a lot. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what Evan said and or, of course, your own thoughts?
2: Well, this was... I was saying this to you off mic, which is... This was sort of what I was asking Evan about, and I thought his answer was really interesting, which is sort of, if we all think it's going to resolve itself before... Spring training and before the season starts, I'll be really interested to see sort of what the um, what leverage the union has around that time. I think I, I'm in like the minutes that have happened since we all gave our guesstimates. I want to lower my percentage <clears throat> guess that they start spring training on time because I really do think I sort of sold myself in the couple of minutes since then, just thinking about like the players are holding out for something, and in order to this week you were not talking about off mic, in order for that that hold out to be meaningful they have to hold out they have to <laughs> there's to, there right. there to be a ch- choke point right there's to be a choke point point. and so i think that's something that like just in in my thinking about labor that like when when does it start to be a meaningful work stoppage is when it starts to be a powerful work stoppage um mm. also i just think it's interesting to think about like i was like I wanted to jump in and be like, January 15th, why putting the over under January 15th? I think if the league makes an amazing offer on January 15th, the union will be like, great, let's wait till January 30th and see what else we can get.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And it's, 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 yeah, I mean, someone asked me, like, if, you know, if this thing expires on December 2nd, like, what, when did talks even start getting serious? Yeah. Because you don't, like you said, you don't have a... You need a choke point. You need something to be somewhere. You need something to be a situation where, like, there has to be a ramification if we don't come to an agreement, and the ramification for the players is, like, we don't play, and you don't have games, and there's not revenue. And, like, the first thing, and this is, like, it's not a huge amount of money, but it's a huge amount of political work and nightmare stuff, which is just that, you know, spring training, like, all of those land and stadium leases in spring training have guarantees in them. Like you know, we're you're you know, me, me know how those stadium deals are. They're, they're like shitty big league deals, and it's like you know we're covering everything. We're giving you all these tax breaks, but as part of this, you have guarantee of thirteen home games, right? You're geared yeah, that's that's in the contract. It's guaranteed. You know, you will get a minimum thirteen spring training games at the, at this park. And the second that becomes a, at a risk, it creates a, a leverage for the players because that creates a lot of legal nightmares for the teams.
2: Yeah, exactly. That I think I think that... I, I, I stand by the sort of, there's so much money on the line, I don't think anybody wants to miss paychecks in regular to, season games. Right. But I do think that we're going to get a little bit more dicey as we approach spring training because that's... Right, that that everyone having to ramp up for spring training, whether that is the players or whether or not it's the business side, that's the pressure point that they're trying to put on each other. And so
0: right.
2: I look forward to that. Also, I... I don't I, I thought it, you asked Evan if you found this fun and I enjoyed his answer and then I was sort of thinking about whether or not I find covering labor fun um, and here's my answer if you' not that you asked I find labor fun from the perspective of it's there's something to figure out I like I don't necessarily find it fun for the same reasons that uh, Evan was alluding to a lot in the reporting I think it can be sort of a drag to talk to people exclusively off the record and this is a A a humble plea for them to leak to us more as much as they hate when the other side leaks. But I find the part of it that's fun is this sort of like the logic puzzle of it all. I think it's one of the more rewarding aspects of the game to think about sort of away from the computer and away from conversations with other people. Like there's like a, I don't actually have like a whiteboard with a bunch of strings on it and like that always sunny gif, but. But in my brain, I do. And that's that's, I, <laughs> <laughs> that's. where you live. That's what I like about it. I like trying to figure out what's happening. And you can actually bring to bear on it some of your sort of own analysis.
1: Well, uh, I, I have another like kind of like media coverage mechanics question for you, yeah. um, which is do you feel responsible or, or do you even feel it's necessary to be neutral mm. uh, in terms of how you approach the two sides? Like it, it's it's... You know, I think, you know, it, it's a it's I, in, in, in general, I very much support the players in this effort. I will just, I, I'm happy I can say that. Um, and, and there are things I hope they get done that I'm not especially optimistic about them getting done. Um, at the same time, it's, it's a very, it's the most unique union in the country. Um, it, that is, it is small and it is a union of people, of millionaires. You know, and, you know, they are fighting billionaires. And so, if, you know, millionaires versus billionaires, I'll, I'll root for the millionaires. Um, but it's not like an easy thing. It's not like the Frito Lay strike where you're like, yeah, of course these people are, are underpaid and getting exploited and the people in charge are horrible people. Like, that's easy, right? That's, that's a cakewalk.
2: Um, I, yeah, I think it's so, really, I think so, I side almost exactly with you in the sense, well, here's, I, I think, you asked if I feel the need to be impartial. I don't know that I feel the need to be impartial. I do feel the weight of siding with one or the other in terms of whether or not I think they're doing something right or wrong. Like, I often think, like, okay, if I think, uh, if I think one side is handling this ridiculously, I worry about the impact of saying that, regardless of who it is, I think that's being like it's like it, it's not a fun I don't I don't think of baseball writers as having to be impartial. I think we talked about yeah, that's kind of where I'm going
1: like not not will you be impartial, but do you feel like you have to be impartial? Do you have to like
2: I feel both? like do I do have you feel to, like you have to play
1: both sides I do
2: feel like I have to play both sides. I feel like I have to and, and well partially I have to play both sides because I'll hear from them if I don't. Um, but also I feel like there is more of a sense of like, uh, when you cover sports, it's like you get into the habit of saying exactly what you think. This is what we we're sort of talking about with like awards voting. It's like, yeah, it's absolutely great if you disagree as to who should win the Cy Young Award that gives us something to talk about. When it comes to labor, I find myself more aware of like, if I I try not to say I think one side is behaving unbelievably, you know what I mean? It's, it's because there's more at stake and there's more at mm-hmm. stake also in affecting public opinion. I think... Um, when we, at the start of the conversation with Evan, we were talking about sort of do fans understand the difference between a lockout and a strike and that type of stuff. I feel more stress, I guess, around the, not impartiality, but around you are explaining something that they Making might not already understand. have. Yeah, exactly. And that you're inherently biasing it just in the way you explain it. If you would say the lockout strike is a really interesting one because it's sort of, they have to lock the players out what do you mean when you say they have to lock the players out they don't have to lock the players out but it's strategically they should lock the players out and so sort of it's, I mean, was, was honestly kind
1: of explain to me that they actually kind of do have to like it's kind of like it's like you know the next legal step like you know if you're gonna get divorced you have to file the paperwork it's, it's no, like that kind of thing
2: you don't actually have to you can yeah. negotiate you can negotiate. And in other so here's the thing in other industries that don't have these off seasons where there's like no money they just they don't lock the people out necessarily because they'd be, everybody would be losing money that's what Evan meant sort of about like that's why they do not it right. in March like they, they 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 quote unquote have to lock some of them out because it's so disastrous to wait till closer to the season <laughs> to do it but in other industries they often keep negotiating without a work stoppage i mean the reason they're locking them out is so the players don't strike and that is a very good reason that's not to say like they're evil they're locking them out because they don't want the players to strike they're they're behaving in the legal logical way that you would in a work in a in a cba negotiation where the cba has expired but right even in the, right in the way that you explain these things i often think about um, who i often think about implicit bias uh, mm. i wrote i wrote about this i like pulled this article up i wrote about in december 2019 the headline is baseball's labor strife can make you cynical but don't fall into the trap and i just <laughs> i tried to write about all these things right that i don't get to say that like i think these people are being ridiculous and it's so tiring to constantly have to say baseball is a business and that i think it's bad to let that color your your coverage
1: right um I, i'm gonna ask you a question i, I asked evan but I'm, I'm interested in what you think because i know you've been look, talking to people about this and think about it a lot you know we all we've all agreed we're going to come out of this like there, there's mm-hmm. another side baseball's not going away forever um do you think that the, the you know the the inherent structures of baseball in terms of these things that are issues in labor negotiations like arbitration and service time and free agency, do you think they will be different on on the other side of this
2: i think i'm mean, gonna I steal evan's answer because it was a good one because he's a better reporter on this than i am but also because i do some don't, of the same don't reporting. praise evan no no, no. Do um i i think the draft is going to change and i think that that's a mm-hmm. big change yeah. i think i think like that's a huge when i look at the the when i look at the subject matters that are going to get discussed it's sort of The areas that feel the most ripe for compromise are the draft and the expanded postseason, probably. Right. And I think those two things changing will feel like a really big change. And I expect there to be some, this is what he was saying about, like, player gains on the pre-free agency years. And uh, I think the players hope they're significant. I think they would be right to hope they're significant. I don't know that they will be significant, but I do think... So, so I think we'll get some changes for those sort of pre-free agency years. Not that much change necessarily around like actual free agency, um, but I do think that the draft will change, and I think that'll be a huge change and hopefully a positive one.
1: Right. Um, yeah, we'll see. I've, I've I've always been, you know, obviously I worked for a team that tanked. Um, yeah. Um, I've always been a kind of a believer in "don't hit the player, hit the game" thing, and I do think baseball would be better if a rule structure existed that didn't encourage that kind of thing. Um, exactly that feels it like it does a... and so i understand why teams do it and i go, yeah of course you're doing it why would you not yep um but i i think a, a rule set that you know that, that had baltimore playing Rutschman on opening day it basically is kind of how i feel like that's the rule set i want that has you know the baltimore orioles putting their 25 best players on the field
2: and when i talk to uh, my sports editors who don't cover baseball at yahoo it's interesting because that's like when i sort of roughly run through what's happening with labor they're like oh that's interesting okay the draft could change so i think yeah i think we're going to get a big change if you think that that's a big change
1: do you like know your numbers like like I, I, like the question no, the, absolutely. the follow-up <laughs> yeah, the, like, like the follow-up was like does this kind of content do, people do care? well like does no, this do well or do care. people go oh shit i want to read this i want to i just want to read about the i just want to read about where carlos correa is going
2: well they probably just want to read about where carlos correa is going i okay. think they should care i think i think it's i i mean I, I think this is what I, as I said this to you, to you about December too, which is that maybe we're all sort of tired of this because it felt like didn't they talk about this in 2020 and didn't they talk about this <laughs> in right. the 2021 season? But like, but now, to, but now we're
1: in a position yeah. where actually something could happen about it.
2: If you're listening to KG's podcast right now, you should read about it's a big deal. There's going to be a work stoppage and the the baseball is going to change and the postseason could be bigger next year. Like, I really do think, like, do I find very labor fun? Everything is labor. Everything in baseball is labor. Like, It's and it's, like, it's,
1: it's, 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 it, it, it's currently, like, this omnipresent thing that carries over everything. Like, yes. you know, Jose Barrios sends an extension. Like, part of that story is, like, what does this mean for labor negotiations? You know, it's exactly. it's, 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 it's everywhere.
2: The CBA, I, I just wrote a, a story that just ran while we were talking. That's just, like, an overview of where we're at with the labor situation. And it, I believe it included the line that was, like, uh, everything is always labor now it's only labor Mm. so you might as well pay (laughs) it's like it's always this is all the cba is always underwriting the what you're seeing on the field now you actually can pay attention to it
1: right and you did talk about like what does and doesn't happen which i think is important that people know like the only thing that really stops is 40 man stuff um because those are members of the union um
2: yeah in fact you're talking about spring training
1: yeah the international signing period which begins on january 15th will take place um you will still see deals for minor league free agents um, that are not on the 40-man. Um, all all non-40-man stuff continues as expected. There will still be a winter meetings because if you haven't been to the winter meetings, the overwhelming majority of people attending the winter meetings are minor league teams who have like their trade show and all that stuff. That'll still happen. You just won't have the GM showing
2: up. Right. And in uh, fact, if we get to spring training without players and you have tickets to see one of those 13 home games, you'll be watching minor leaguers play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> That'll be a good time um okay let's get let's move on let's our musical guest you've been listening to the wonderful music of model home um this is it's exciting like like obviously far too often i am playing bands that i know or that are people i know know and things like that and it just tends to be a lot of you know angry rock and roll and 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 um kind of more pressing at times white people music um so i always wanted more hip-hop. We did have a couple of some hip-hop stuff Um, in the past. We have a new hip-hop band. This is Model Home. They're on Don Giovanni Records. Um, This is good shit. This is almost experimental hip-hop. It's off their new album on Don Giovanni Rocky. It's called Both Feet in the Infinite. Um, It is a a duo uh, from Washington, D.C. The Washington Post called them a messy and unblinking improvisational blurt. It quickly becomes dense and confusing. Why would you not want to listen to dense and confusing music? Um, They also have a song called 3D Printed Quinoa. And any band with a song called 3D Printed Quinoa is okay with me. If you want to learn more about Model Home, just go to Don Giovanni Records' website. And you can go get that stuff and download the album and pay for it. And uh, they are wonderful. And thanks to Don Giovanni. And thanks to Model Home, because they're awesome.
2: I'm looking you... at their merch right now because that's how I consume. That's talent. how you judge your bands. That's how I judge my band is how good their merch is. And it's, I would, what was it that you, like experimental? Certainly. That's how I would also describe their merch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not like, necessarily a bad thing. Incredibly confusing and overwhelmingly dense. Inca- yes. Incredibly confusing and overwhelmingly dense. Incredibly confusing is how I would describe their merch. But I. I think I could pull it off nonetheless.
1: Are you ready for emails? I am ready for emails. Real quick. It's very important. If you're listening to this podcast right now, please send us an email. So next week, obviously, is Thanksgiving week. Um, Everybody's running around. It's not going to be uh, easy to get a guest and that kind of stuff. Um, So myself, along with co-host John Taylor, who um, co-hosted a few weeks ago, and we had a blast together, we are thinking, and we're hoping you can help us with this, just do an email show. We're just going to go through the question bucket, if you will, and and rip through. So send us an email. It can be about baseball. It can be about um, your favorite casserole. It can be about Thanksgiving side dishes. It can be about um, late 1960s European political unrest. We don't care. Send us an email, com, And we're hoping if you guys can contribute and, and come through for us, that we will have the all email show on. Uh, next week probably recording on Tuesday and out Wednesday before you go travel and put your health at risk um, okay here we go our first email comes from Francis and this goes back to something we talked about in the first segment and Francis says my question is about pitcher showcases for guys coming back from injuries such as the one Justin Verlander gave who attends these from a team what are team personnel looking for are there pitch tracking devices? Can teams request that the pitcher do something like, say, throw at least 10 sliders? How informative are these showcases? Any insight would be welcome, especially if you've ever attended such an event. I have attended such an event. They're a blast and they're super quick and, and not especially informative. Um, so the one Justin Verlander gave took place at Cressy Sports um, in West Palm. Uh, Cressy Sports is a sports rehab place that is... Um, the place to go it's where everybody does their work in florida It is the 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 industry leader if you will um who attends these from a team is a great question it, I, there were probably not agms and gms there there were probably who's our scout in florida can they go look and really the question just is like how's he look does he look healthy does he look like justin verlander it's not too complicated it's not you know and, and he did he looked you know He was mid to upper 90s and the breaking balls looked like Justin Verlander breaking balls. I'm sure because it happened at Cressy, there was pitch tracking devices and that data was shared with teams, um, either Rapsodo or Trackman. And so they could see that um, on an analytic level, the stuff looked like Justin Verlander. Um, The point in the Verlander showcase was simply to show people that he's healthy and they had it, as you can note, before his decision on the qualifying offer. Um, And it it was kind of informative for, for Verlander's camp in the sense that it allowed them to kind of help it, help them to gauge interest and see if whether he should accept it or not. And ultimately, obviously he did not accept it and got a better deal. Um, but honestly, these kind of, of coming back from injury things are just like, is he healthy? Does he look like the person we think he looks like? Um, they are a lot of fun. Like the, you show up at nine and you go get coffee at nine thirty. It's not a whole day work or anything like that. Um, they show up. They probably, I would bet he threw, I would at the over under at 30 pitches. Um, you cannot tell him what to throw. Um, he's probably, he, they have a sequence in mind. He's probably gonna throw 10 fastballs and then mix it up for 20 and you, you leave. Um, you know, if you're in the Dominican working at a 15 year old, you can definitely call pitches and see what you wanna see. But in a case like a Verlander workout, he has a, a sequence of 30 that is that is scripted and pre-done. Um, but I thought that one was really interested in the sense that, you know, often these are guys looking for a deal. And this was the first one that I can remember. That involved a guy like on the verge of a QO decision, um, and 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 that workout playing a role in that as well.
2: I'm curious because I don't. I'm this is a question exclusively for you, so I'm just going to build off of that question. Mm-hmm. And that is, what should we infer from the teams who are there? Are they there to talk to Justin Verlander about joining their team, or is it sort of more just due diligence? Like, does it does it indicate interest in in after he throws his thirty pitches, does he also sort of sit down and talk to teams? And is it a, a meaningful no. step?
1: It's a meaningful step. He's definitely not talking to anyone that day of the workout. Um, the people there are going to report back. Hey, he looked just like Justin Verlander. He looked great. Gotcha. And then they can then and then um, then the emails. So so an email an email went out to all thirty teams. From the Verlander representative saying Justin Verlander is going to be conducting a workout. It's at Cressy Sports. It's at this time. Um, if you're going to attend, please let me know. Right, and you send an email saying, "Hey Billy, we're showing up. I'll you know here's who will be there representing our team," and gotcha. they, they they say, "Great, we'll see you there." Um, you know, and so it's not
2: show- always this like the the number the sort of when we see only two or three team names reported perhaps that's not right like these two teams are down to the wire they're not fighting it. over Justin Timberlake oh. and, and they to brought be, gift baskets to Chris Cressy right <laughs> and to
1: be totally honest with you there uh, there's it's quite possible there was a team I have no idea which team this is so we'll just call this team the robots it's quite possible like the robots GM or even even the scout director like sent like forwarded the email to their scout who lives in West Palm and said hey if you got nothing else going on you want to go to this right you know and they went. And they said, back, they said hey, it he looks like Justin Verlander. It's great. And they go, great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, and then moved on. And and it was really, these things are mostly like, is he healthy? Does he look ready to go? That's it. Um, but this one was, I did think, quite an interesting dynamic in the sense that it was a guy thinking about a QO thing. Um, as opposed to simply somebody looking for a deal. Like, I can think about, you know, going to see... Um, you know, Daniel Moscos. you know, years and years ago, just got named a Cubs for the pitching like, coach. And Daniel was, like, looking to get back and get a deal and stuff. And it was in Arizona. And it was at, like, again, one of these, like, performance institutes. And, like, 15 teams showed up, and he threw 20 pitches. You're like, oh, great, pretty interesting. And, you know, and I talked to him for, like, two minutes afterwards, and, and that was that. Um, And so these things happen all the time. Mostly it's guys looking for a deal. And I think Berlander was kind of, like, gauging his market, which made this one um, a first for, for me.
2: Yeah. Uh, And and it worked. Right. And it worked for him.
1: Yeah. And I I was told he looked really good, um, that he looked like Justin Verlander, um, which doesn't surprise me. Um, And Verlander says he wants to pitch until he's 45. And my response to that right now is like, yeah, sure, of course. Why not? Um, Our next email comes from Andrew. Andrew says, on an earlier podcast, you referred to Edwin Rios of the Dodgers as a constant Astros trade target. You've described a few other players as such. I can't recall offhand. Uh, Alejandro Kirk was a guy who uh, the Astros asked about a lot from Toronto. Uh, This made me wonder, is pestering another team's GM or front office an effective trade strategy? (laughs) Like, would a material change need to occur in one's roster construction, a draft, free agent, etc., before circling to ask about a player again? Or is there any value inherent to wearing a side down in trade talks? For me, it's fun to imagine conversation between GMs in an informal and fun way. But the larger question is, what is the pacing and strategy of these trade talks when your proposal is initially turned down? It's not, yeah, no one pesters anyone about a player. It's just like, like Edwin Rios, like the Dodgers would ask about something. and You'd go, yeah, we, you know, we still like Rios. And you just bring him up again. Um, and so like, you don't kind of, Pester them about Edwin Rios. It's just like every time they talk to you about a player, you bring up Edwin Rios again. And I think the more interesting thing to talk about here is how teams keep track of these conversations. Mm-hmm. So, um, how teams keep
2: track of these conversations. So I'm intrigued.
1: It's just like, uh, you know, just in, in, you know, within their internal system or maybe even just a spreadsheet or whatever, but it, it just goes back to, you know, it's the off season, And just like, <laughs> and I wrote about these, um, uh, during the season, like before the trade deadline, you know, late May, early June. You do your check-in calls um, and you really recall really every team like, hey, look, we're, you know, we're in a position we think we're going for a playoff team or you're looking for relief help. Um, you know, we talk about guys like this. It's just like a like a, a setting the stage kind of thing. Um, and, but you keep track of like all your conversations and now check-in calls happen again at the end of the season. And like you go, hey, we're going to call Oakland. When we've talked to Oakland in the last 12 months, here are the players that have been discussed. They've expressed interest in this guy and this guy. And so maybe if we bring this guy up, we might get some traction on that guy, right? And so obviously Oakland's a great example because Oakland's going to be dumping a whole lot of good players. Cops are coming for you now. Yeah, this is... And um, this, is the SWAT team there?
2: This is actually the... What is this? The incredibly dense and very confusing
1: music. <laughs> <laughs> no? And so, like, if you think, you know, you might have interest... Like, there was a player that Oakland asked for that you were just like, no way, we would never talk about him in this context. But all of a sudden, you're talking about Matt Olsen or, or Matt Chapman or Shamanaya. All of a sudden, you can go, you know, they've expressed interest in these two players. Let's talk you know, Let's talk internally first. We'll be willing to, to discuss these two players in a in a larger deal that involved Olsen or Chapman or whatever. And you have, like, a, you, all of a sudden, because you've tracked that, you have a much better starting point. Hey... You know, you know we've, we've read the rumors. We know you might be moving guys. You know, we have a lot of interest in Olsen. If you did that, we would be willing to talk about Player X and Y, who I know you guys have said you liked in the past.
2: Is that what you say? Do you say we've read the rumors?
1: Oh, I've done it. Yeah, yeah. Look, hey, look man, we know what's out there. I don't know what's true and what's not. But you know, if you're really thinking about moving Olsen, we definitely have interest and just kind of want to have our, you know, throw our hat in the ring on that one. Um,
2: it is. You do often see, like, when a deal gets done, sometimes you'll hear teams say things like, that's a guy we've been keeping tabs on for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah, like, you know, we liked him back when he was with team before his current team, or we've been we've been keeping an eye on him since since the minors type of Right,
1: thing. and a, a good example, I can like a real-world example, is Huascar uh, Um When I was with Astros, like, the first time I made it known that I really liked Huascar Noah was when he was unsigned, when he was a 15-year-old in the Dominican. Um, I turned it a very positive glowing report um he went to the twins he pitched very well uh his pitch data was really really interesting and really really good um and you know every time we talked to the twins like who else would come up at some point um as as a piece we'd be looking for ultimately he obviously got traded to atlanta um and then you go well why didn't you call us we like that guy and uh so yeah yeah they're definitely everyone has their everyone like for every team every yeah, every team for the other 29 teams of that are not them, they definitely have like two or three guys they basically have wanted since
2: day one. Did you know that he was going to hit a grand slam? And that, that Was that part of your going report? It was. Yeah. yeah, roster, I read, yeah. Really yeah,
1: good body, good stuff. think This guy could develop a pretty grand good breaking potential. ball. Grand slam potential at the plate. <laughs> um, our final email comes from JP. JP says, Hello, KG, and illustrious co-host. You're illustrious today. Yeah, thank you. Um, vibing in their palatial estate.
2: <laughs> that part's not true. I live You're in New yet. York.
1: <laughs> what do you got, 4,000 square feet? What do you got?
2: No. My, my in-laws asked me that the other day. They were like, how big do you think your apartment is? And I was like, why? <laughs> you thinking about moving in? Because there's definitely not room for that.
1: <laughs> got a closet. Um, I have a need for speed, JP continues. Stats people have solved baseball, and now we have three of the truest outcomes. Every baseball fan thinks the game was the best when they were the kids. But late 80s, early 90s ball did have the most variety of offensive strategies. If you had Manfred's ear, how could you incentivize more steals in today's game? Limiting pickoffs? Mandating smaller gloves to get more balls put into play? I don't know what that means. Something else. I appreciate any thoughts you may have. Thanks. JP, and then it says sent for my TA, TI-83 graphing calculator, which would make you my hero if you actually sent an email from one of those things.
2: This is my I, chance to rage against ABS your, again. This
1: is your chance to rage against ABS. I had a really interesting conversation with somebody the other day mentioned that. You know, if we just, like... if This would never happen. But if we just, like, moved all the fences back 50 feet, we'd have exactly the game man
2: Okay, no, Okay, I'm gonna... That's <laughs> my take. I have been saying this for years. <laughs> this was... I'm like I'm 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 fired up now in my in my not 4,000 square foot apartment. Oh, have you know this?
1: This is a this is a team executive. It's like man, just move the fence by like 50 feet. Like we would have the game. The very
2: wants. first, I have a show. It's called The Bandwagon. The last segment in my show is called Humble Proposal to Fix Baseball. This was my 2021 was our third season of doing this show. The very first episode in twenty nineteen, the humble proposal to fix baseball was move the fences back. And I have written about this repeatedly since. Uh, I I think I can say this. I You're on board? This, this was an off the record conversation, but I feel like this part is fine. I said this to Theo Epstein at the GM meetings and he was like, Yeah, of course I would fix baseball. I was like, "Thank you." Yeah, sure, of course. He's like, "We're not going to do it because." I was going to say that that,
1: this is not going to happen.
2: No, it's not going to happen. Yeah, we should move the fences back. That would fix baseball. Do you
1: like? It's weird because we say it's never going to happen.
2: It should happen. Polo grounds. Polo grounds
1: everywhere. But if it, that's the thing. Like, it's never going to happen. But why not? Like, is it? Is it really just like a simple? Like that's too much, or is it just a simple look? People love home runs, or, or like, what? Like, it's, they why don't isn't want going to happen
2: because the out. It's a so dramatic many, change because there's a well because there's a street behind the fence at Fenway Park, but yeah, the, exactly. Because they because of the seats they can't give up. You can push the seats so like think about 50, if the front row. A lot of people. It's a lot. Well, it's a lot of people if you cut those stands, or it's a lot of people who have terrible views if you just push them all back. Put <laughs> like the final bleacher seat. Imagine having being 50 feet further from home plate. Right. But yeah, it would be great. It would truly be great. And, and they sort of tried to do that by deadening the ball, which was someone called, described to me as sort of a poor man's version of moving the fences back. But like, that didn't work at all because now it's just, just making more outfield outs. Like that's not. What we want. We only want more pop-ups.
1: Can, can I, give you a more radical idea? This was interesting. This is another. This can I
2: give the, you my most radical idea in exchange?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're okay, do let's this. do this. And so, I just, uh, another executive talked about like pushing the fence back, and he said, "Why does it have to be round? <gasps> let's just let's just let's just go." <laughs> I love this. I thought this idea made me even more excited. Let's just let's keep it. It's still, it's still four hundred to center, but it's three eighty down the line.
2: Mm, like a so rectangle.
1: Right, we're getting rid of the roundness, and we're just gonna yeah. like, you know, look if you want to hit a, if you want to hit a home run, you got to hit a ball four hundred feet.
2: That's honestly, I don't yes. care. I
1: don't care the direction. That's but a, like, why are we doing how, this? Why are we round? Architectural
2: like, change we could maybe actually yeah, make.
1: It's four hundred to center, and it's four hundred down the line.
2: Yeah, like push the fences out from the sides.
1: Right, get rid of the curve.
2: Get rid of the curve. I, I, like, I, could have I, dug,
1: th- I dug that idea. I
2: genuinely. I like it's you know what that this is two years running now of advising people to flatten the curve and this time we take the it baseball. <laughs> it's really true though that like I I feel di- we should this is my I feel so passionately about that. you're right. We should like bigger outfield gets you the kind of baseball that you want in what? terms of like more running, more hits, more triples. like that's, yeah. I agree. Move the fences back. It it does feel like something that is like you were. This is going back to what you were just saying, which is like if everybody thinks this is such a good idea, why don't we just do it? Even though it's like, I and mean, I kind of agree. I kind of think like short term pain for long term gain. Yeah, yeah. like it's it's going to be a pain in the ass, but I do think it would be a better version of the sport. All right, you want to hear my most radical? And this gets back to JP and his Need for Speed and stolen bases. I'm right. Um, uh, I also mentioned this to Theo by the way, and he was like, mm, I don't think we're going to do that but <laughs> didn't like either of my ideas this is I'm calling it total bases ball one point for every base so you maintain the value of a home run wait wait what is this points. what is this called again total bases ball <laughs> you could walk it off you on haven't even explained base.
1: this all completely to me and get it as the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. go ahead
2: <laughs> no one point for every base. One point for a single, two points for a double, four points for a home run. If a guy's on third and you hit a home run, that's five points. But it, So wait, is it,
1: the, do we, have we reached the point where a walk now is equal to a single? Okay,
2: so glad you asked. I think that walks don't count, but that you can then accumulate points from there. So if you walk, but then, then still you score, second, that would you be get a yeah, point. Exactly. So
1: now, but now we're doing points. Now, like, the Braves beat the Mets 37-21.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, what are you going to do? Like, the— uh, I don't know the first time like the the, the Rockies beat the Giants twenty one to twenty, but the Giants had four guys crossing home plate and the Rockies only had one. You don't care because well, that's not how the rules
2: are. Yeah, the, the Giants should have should have stolen a base in the ninth inning. There you go, incentivizing steals. You if you're down by only one point in the ninth inning and you can't make that up, ugh, you deserve to lose that game. You can't get one guy on base.
1: So I, you, I do like the walk-off stolen base. The
2: walk-off like, stolen base. Like we're
1: tied twenty-one twenty-one, and then then you put in Billy Hamilton, yeah, and you have him go. <laughs> Terrence Score has a better career all of a sudden, because every team would have a Terrence Score on their team, right? Because all of a sudden yeah. he can he can not just like get you to he can win a game,
2: yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Okay, so I, I, I really don't think it's a bad thing at all because to to back to the email, I think if you're talking about sort of how do we get more stolen bases in the game, it's about incentivizing teams to carry speedy players in sort of in opposition to just carrying sort of power players. Power it's an Oversimplification, but I get like, and so yeah, I think I think. Can it's I alter your more, game a little bit? Please, this is it, no bad if you, ideas. If, if you touch
1: home plate, it's a bonus point. Okay. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you get your, you know, you That's single. You get a point. You know, the guy, the guy, the next guy singles. You go to second. That's a point. Guy gets a single and you go to, you get, and you, you round you to two to base advanced single and you get to home. That's two more points plus a bonus point for getting to home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's kind of like the three-point shot.
2: I do like that. Yeah, it's like the three-point shot. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, make this a, is the worst idea ever. Let's
1: continue to build on it.
2: <laughs> I don't it is. okay like, so point. wait a
1: second so 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 but any so any advancement of a base is a point so like if so but, but again the walk doesn't count but it puts you in a position to, to get points yeah so um you know a balk that's and the fly, guy right yeah. a, a, a balk and a guy goes up a base that's a point point. and even like and this has become we've seen a lot more of these in like in the last three years it's good it's it's smart baseball but like guy going from first to second on a deep fly ball to center that's a point
2: yeah don't is you that a, love it, that, though?
1: In your statistical, in your scorekeeping rule, is that now a sack fly because a guy scored a point?
2: Yes. I think it's a sack fly. It's a meaningful out. But think, but it's, think a produc- about, it's
1: a truly it's a, productive out.
2: It's a
1: truly out. productive out. So, but wait, so I, I want to keep going here. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, guy on first, ground ball, deep in the hole, like third baseman gets it. He's no play at second, throws to first for the out. Guy gets to second, he just got a point. Am yeah, I correct? Fielders, Is that fielders, correct? Fielders
2: choice are tricky. <laughs> you found, you found the the the. the
1: but a guy advanced a second. That's a point, I, right? I, I think it's a in point in your stupid world that we're talking about <laughs> here.
2: <laughs> okay, but here's why I like this.
1: No, I we want to answer this question. you, you your boy. You totally went around this. Yeah, I'm not, did, sure that. Did, I'm not sure that. I...
2: I think yeah. Fine, fine. We'll give him one point for that. Okay, he gets choice. a point. He <laughs> gets a point for the choice. But, but see, one point in this game that's going to end 25 to, <laughs> to 20. So little, I I think that it's a way of changing the incentive without having to change Mm -hmm. the physicality. We talk about things like moving the pitcher's mound back, making the bases bigger, moving the fences back, or even sort of changing. Like this keeps the this actually keeps the core rules in the sense of like the nothing needs. (laughs) Like you could start this tomorrow. You don't need to like. Have
1: Have you actually like calculated a game yet to see what the scores would be?
2: No, I should do that. Wait, do, that's you, when we do uh,
1: all this. Yeah. This has to, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, this afternoon, I'm going to find a game and calculate it. I actually want to like. So
2: you're thinking about it is what you're saying.
1: I'm thinking about, I want to see how dumb this is. <laughs> I know it's dumb and I need to find the level of dumbness just, right. to, just to really appreciate the beauty of the stupidity of it. I love it. Like it's dumb, but I love plenty <laughs> of dumb things. Total base ball.
2: Total base ball.
1: It it even has a dumb name. It's great.
2: Thank you for your email, JP. I really appreciated it. JP, you you, you, came through
1: big, so we could talk about total total basis ball. Feels like, um, like when people create new sports that are based on other sports. I know, (laughs) and they're always bad. Um, (laughs) Total basis ball.
2: I here you. This is my like slight serious thing that I will say, which is that I I'm, I'm not a fan of cricket, but I know about cricket. And I think sometimes around how cricket went from from test cricket to to 2020. I was
1: going to say, there's uh, good, I'm glad you know. I was about to call it like Cricket 21 or something. They made the game more palatable for TV.
2: Exactly. But I I think that sometimes I think about what is the 2020 um, Mm -hmm. edit for baseball, which is like, okay, what if you took sort of like the field and the machinations and the rules and you were just sort of like, Okay, we can change anything as long as they sort of go through the same physicality and they do the same thing. And cricket 2020 has been a phenomenal change. Like it's huge for the popularity of cricket and it's like now the sport that they play at the highest level. I think it is sometimes valuable to to take that approach to when you think about quote-unquote fixing baseball. Not like what? Because sometimes I think the fixes that they talk about are a lot of like, all right, we're going to tweak this thing over here. But then also because you tweak that thing over there, you got to tweak this other thing over here to right. offset it. And sometimes I think, what if you were just like, all right, we, hear, we have these baseball fields. We have people who hit balls with bats. We have people who throw. We have people who field. What can we do with this to kind of make a more exciting game and total bases ball? <laughs> <sighs>
1: That's it for the emails. I don't know where you go from there. If you have thoughts on that, and it, you know what, here's the thing: our listeners are psychos.
2: Yeah, someone's going to have this like scored by the time we're done talking. Here's what
1: I would like someone to do: someone take because it's funny because the game I was I'm not going to do it now because someone's going to do it for me. Um, the game I was thinking about was Game Five of the 2017 World Series. Yes. So if someone is out there, What's please the score. <laughs> please, I want the entire 2017 World Series. I want I want total bases ball. You to score the 2017 World Series. And get back to me. We'll see what. Maybe it ends in six games. I don't even know.
2: I'm so excited.
1: And please include the 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 the, the one point bonus for hitting home plate.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, no points it, for a walk. No
1: points, no points for, for a walk
2: or a hit by pitch, but oh, points wait, for a by, fielder's choice.
1: Oh, oh, wait, no points for a fielder's choice.
2: No point, like the one point, like you were saying. Okay, so you get the yeah.
1: bases advanced, and the, wait, what was the hit by pitch rule? Is that? yes or do that's
2: that's a no. That's okay. That's just walk. that's
1: that's a scoring opportunity rule.
2: Scoring opportunity, yeah so
1: yeah it's an <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know joey bottle of the league in so's he's pretty good man um i'm to have to redo war it's gonna be very complicated
2: <laughs> this is a great idea
1: so somebody score uh, uh pick your favorite world series give it do a world series for me send it we'll discuss it next week um in the total bases ball cast which starts next week weekly <laughs> discussion of total bases ball um it's time to catch up with Hannah Kaiser. Hannah, you went to the GM meetings.
2: I did. There was warm. <laughs> they're it weird. Like they're I you know, weird.
1: you and you and I have spoken at the GM meetings and um they're a weird time. Because like it's just like do you feel like, because obviously with the so with the with the winter meetings, we'll get to those in a second, but like the winter meetings, like you like you have the press availability for the managers, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um most, if not all, teams like have like, hey, send the beat writers up at four o'clock to the suite, and we'll talk to them there. That kind of thing. It feels like with the GMs, you're just kind of waiting around, hoping to catch someone walking by.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's extremely bizarre. I often I've been to 2GM meetings, so it's not not a ton, and I spent the entire time, both times, thinking about all the people who were were incidentally on vacation at these resorts. Yeah. What's with all these pasty baseball writers sitting around the fountain with their laptops out in the middle of the day? It's (laughs) looking strange. It's so weird. It's so weird. You're just like skulking around perfectly manicured hedges looking for front office executives. It's very weird.
1: Yeah, and I, I wrote about what happens at the GM meetings last week, and it's like, it, it's, you know, if, if you've seen the White Lotus, it's that kind of resort. Mm-hmm. It's a White Lotus esque resort. Um, and there are people there who are like, this is our vacation time, and yet yep. there's like the, and like there's 200 media people there. Um, and then, and a lot of baseball people in polos.
2: Yeah. Um, so many polos, so many tonic. khakis. And yeah, none of us are, none of us are having, any fun we're having like enough fun but it's like and i i this but do you think it's one, like
1: worth your time like i i, yeah, mean, I guess like it, it is because like you were able like you said you were able to corner theo i've seen for a while and stuff like that and but you like, don't total
2: base ball theo <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> you're like, okay please leave
1: <laughs> and, um, but you didn't um but like you don't get like and maybe this is a good thing if you're the right kind of reporter you don't get a structured media time
2: i think it is a I, I, I think other reporters... Well, so I'm a little bit... I think the one we just had was kind of sh- shitty. I was going to say something more tempered. I think the one we just had was kind of shitty because the looming CBA stuff is, like, obviously the only thing... is looming. Well, it's looming. It's looming. and Looming is a negative
1: it. word. Yeah, it's looming. And
2: people don't want to talk about it, but I want them to talk about it. So it was, like, kind of uh, stilted GM meetings in that sense. I think it's really great. Like, I think it is one of the best events of the year from, like, a strictly media perspective. Like, if you're a fan, you don't need to care where we... We always include where we are. I've read, like, a lot of... It's always, like, at the resort's in Carlsbad. And I was like, it's not important that anyone care where we are. But it is a really good event for media. You see a lot of people. You get to put a face to a name for you. I think it's, like, more valuable... So I didn't ever cover a beat. I started in this job. Um, And it is... Like, I only know people through things like GM meetings. Like, I have to sort of be like, hi, hello. Like, I talked to Brian Cashman, and Brian Cashman was like, I didn't even know you lived in New York. And I was like, that's not great. I should do better at being around the Yankees. But now you know. So, like, it it would take me a lot of time of, like, going to Yankees games for Brian Cashman to figure out that I'm there. But I can just tell him. I can just be like, hi, I live in New York. I'll be at your baseball stadium a lot.
1: Right, right, right. Um, Are you booked for the winter meetings, or have you said this isn't happening?
2: Okay. I was and then I just canceled my hotel yesterday.
1: Did you really?
2: <laughs> yeah. I was booked and then I thought I
1: think that's it, like I think that is the most telling piece yeah. about, about your feelings about the upcoming labor yeah. stoppage. Is you is before anything being it, official, you just whacked it. your hotel.
2: Well, to be fair, it's partially because they did this in a very weird way where the hotel they put it at, you have to cancel five days in advance mm. to not lose your to not pay a fee. And it is, literally it's the, is, is, the, is like it at the door this year? Um, no, it's at some, what is it at? It's in Orlando. The Bonnet Creek Resort in Orlando. Oh, I've already heard of this. Okay. And I was like, five days? That's like the one time we can't do it. It's like I would want to be there on probably the 5th or 6th and the CBA expires on the 1st. So I can't I, do
1: that. Yeah, I talked to um, uh, an exec and I asked him, you said, are you booked? Are you going to the anything? And he said, we're acting like everything's normal mm. and we've booked everything and I have a... 300 word message in slack to our person who arranges all the travel telling him to cancel that i'm just waiting to hit enter on it's in my drafts i've written it it's in my drafts it's ready to go and i'm i'm Planning on hitting it at some point.
2: <laughs> if I could do that, I would have done that. I would have. Right. I, I, I canceled this under duress. I feel very stressed about it. I wasn't sure what to do. Please do not take that as some sort of like, I do not have insider information. I mean, I do have insider information, but I don't, I don't, I can't guarantee that there will be a lockout. I just can guarantee that Yahoo will be unhappy if I lose out on this.
1: Uh, right. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you're Talking to teams, like they're, they're pretty pessimistic about them going to the Meeting.
2: I am kind of bummed. My like, you were you mentioned this when we're talking about sort of what will stay the same and what will be different in a lockout. There will be winter meetings. There will be minor league portions of the winter meetings. I'm like the most stressed about the possibility of having to be like. So wait, should I go? Who's going? Is anyone going? Are we going? Like, I I, yeah, that part. I don't even know if you need to
1: be there. Like, it's just it's such a weird thing. As someone who's like been to double digit winter meetings like it's such a weird thing at this point where like people go what do you do at the winter meetings I'm like well i sit in the suite and text all day like you don't even need to be there
2: <laughs> right
1: and it's created it, and the thing that always fascinated me is the dynamic of it which is it creates a inc- very very artificial stress to get oh, something yeah. done at the winter meetings like why are we pushing to get something done just because we're all in the same hotel texting each other
2: that's a great point
1: it's a Run very strange thing looking
2: stressed because both the winter meetings and the GM meetings have this in common, which is that, like, you feel like you're just loitering and then you see somebody else take yeah. a phone call and walk away. And that's like the worst thing that can happen to your day.
1: Right. What's so he doing? Like,
2: Why are they on the phone?
1: <laughs> and it's, I, it's, my, I've been to, I don't know, six or seven GM meetings. And my favorite part is I, I never actually attended the meetings themselves. I have, no idea what, I have no idea. I have no idea what happened. I just did agent meetings. Yeah. Like, I just met with agents when I, that was my job at the, at the GMAs was to meet with agents and to arrange the agent meetings and, and to set them up and, and to you know, conduct many of them and to be in the agent meetings. And like the actual meetings, like where MLB's, you know, putting up PowerPoint slides about finances and like, I have no idea what those are like. No, not a clue in the world. <laughs> um, I did participate in a couple. They had like, they had, they do these like round tables one day in the morning where they put like, there's like six of them, five teams each, and they, you know, they put the group in the room, and everyone's like there with like three or four people, and they just kind of talk about these seven issues. And uh, often one of them is a rule change thing, and I'm just mad now that I've never been able to discuss total bases ball Next at the time. GM meetings. Yeah. So
2: we'll we'll get we're gonna start a movement, and then they'll be forced to, to take it under review.
1: <laughs> um, it's time for a moment of culture.
2: Okay, Is that want to do it? You go
1: first. Go. Feel free. Go first. What do you got?
2: No, no. You go first. You go first. I want. Okay. Show me. Show me how it's done.
1: Well, this is a real bit of a weird one, but it's it's it is November. Um, it's the middle of the month, and therefore, sumo wrestling is happening. The only other sport that matters, in my mind, and I just want to remind people that um, you can watch sumo. Uh, it's it's available in a lot of places, but if you have like an Apple TV or if you have an Apple device, if you download the NHK World app, you can get a daily show that shows you every match in its entirety oh, wow. and it's the best sport in the world um watch it every night catch up uh currently the yokozuna terano fuji is a perfect four 0 they will uh, it is 15 matches every two months they have a tournament it's 15 matches person with the best record wins the tournament it's that simple it's not complicated um uh, the sport itself understanding the sport itself is not complicated they they two guys face each other and you win by if any part other than his foot touches the the ground or if he's pushed out of the ring. So if he leaves the ring or any part other than his feet touches the ground inside the ring, he loses. It's that simple. So you can get the sport quickly. It's a beautiful sport. The the, the personalities of, of, of these sumo wrestlers is kind of amazing. It's fun to look at a guy who's six foot four and four hundred and fifty pounds. Um it's fun to look at a guy who's five foot five and three hundred and fifty pounds, um, which is my favorite wrestler, Taka Keisha, who's also four and oh and doing wonderfully. Um, it's the most entertaining it's the best sport that's not baseball and I highly recommend if you can watch sumo to watch sumo
2: I think I might so it's this fantastic. is where I, this is where I tell people what they should do their moment of yeah action. tell
1: them what they should read or, or what they should watch or. Whatever. well since, since
2: since you're talking about what's the best sport I have to say that actually the best sport is Project Runway mm. this is I alluded to the fact that my husband is also a sports writer he is here sitting next to me um, and he and I both often discuss the fact that the best sport is
1: Project Runway. Project Runway has gone through some changes. I know this. Yes. Like we, I've, I've watched it in the past. I've I've not watched recent. It's not. It's on. Where is it? First of all, where can people watch Project Runway right
2: now? That's a great question. I should probably know that. Where do I watch Project Runway? Um, I watch it on well, it's Bravo. Some Bravo, a, but like oh, so so it's still on have, cable. Yeah, okay. it's still on cable. I think we have. I think we watch it on. Well, we watch it actually on 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 demand, but like it's on Hulu. Okay.
1: so it's on cable. Um, it's on Bravo.
2: And but I absolutely—it's a but great. But like Tim
1: Gunn isn't there yet anymore. Tim right? Gunn
2: is not there. No, he's on a different show, which is also good. It's called Making the Cut. That one's on Amazon Prime. Uh, Heidi is also there. Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn defected, and they started their own Project Runway spin-off or rip-off. So who, off, do, you, rip so who do you
1: get on? Who do you get on the OG Project Runway now?
2: You get Christian Siriano, and then you get like Nina Garcia, some of the judges who have been there before, and then Elaine Wilthrop. I can't pronounce her name. She's a, also an editor in chief of some fashion magazine. You get right. Christian Siriano is the Tim Gunn. He's like okay season one winner, and he season.
1: won he won one year.
2: Yes, and he's great at it. Although I do miss Tim Gunn, I I genuinely like. I, I'm, I'm big into fashion, so like I like it for that reason. But also, if you just like competition, it is a competition you can sit on your couch and have an opinion about. You can be like, "That looks better than that looks." Mm-hmm. Like I actually genuinely find that it like scratches the sport itch of rooting for people, seeing how they do, and then having an opinion on who should and should not have won MVP this year type stuff. Like it's it's great. You just watch. You you just get to think that looks terrible. I would never make something that ugly um it's also generally
1: can... positive not not like over the like i think about like a lot of reality shows have people um have have people angry at each other like part of it is yeah. like i don't like this person it's generally like people like the, the the contestants are rooting for the other contestants for the most part like i think about like the ultimate version of this is the great british baking show yes where they all love each other like yes. they're all rooting for each other and, I, and that's like the vibe of that is very appealing to me, and I, it's, I, I have enough hatred in my life. Like I, the the vibe of that is very appealing to me. We're like we like each other,
2: and they, I genuinely believe that. Sort of the you you brought up Tim Gunn, where's Tim Gunn? He's doing something else. Christian Siriano is doing this. The reason the quote unquote mentor figure is so memorable on that show is because they also those people are actually trying to make the contestants better, and I think the judges are actually trying to make the contestants better. Mm-hmm. It's not this. It's not this sort of like uh, viral teardown. From the judges either. I think like it is col- it is not collaborative, but it is um, substantive. It's like they really do like when when Tim Gunn formerly and now Christian Siriano does their little walk around. Mm-hmm. The feedback they give is genuinely constructive, and if you care at all about fashion, it is fun to learn via their constructive
1: right. criticism. And I feel I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because I want you to succeed.
2: Exactly, and I think yeah. that that's like a really cool way to to, yeah. to consume a reality show, or particularly a reality competition show. Is like you get a greater appreciation. I'm also a big Top Chef fan, and I feel like both mm-hmm. Top Chef and Project Runway feel somewhat educational on the on the industries that they cover, if not. Like, I'm sure people who are actually in this industry would be like, absolutely not. But to a lay person, <laughs> they feel educational. Right. <laughs> I don't know. That's my, that's my moment of culture for you. Everybody go watch Project Runway, right. even if you think you have no interest in it.
1: Yeah, so when you're, you know, there's no know, ba- unless you're streaming Dominican Winter League games, which you should do. They're, if you're of an MLB TV subscription, they're right there for you, and they are a blast. Um, but when you're not doing that, watch Sumo and Project Runway.
2: And think about Total Bases Ball. And
1: think about Total Bases Ball uh hannah i think we're done here
2: this was a delight
1: i can't thank you enough for wasting your your friday morning with me <laughs> um if people want to follow you on the tweeter they go to hannah archizer K-E-Y-S-E-R. Yes. k-e-y-s-e-r yep do you have anything else um, you need to plug
2: um god that's a great question uh read my labor coverage this offseason so that read. way, read my labor coverage. So that way, people, so that way, we believe that people want to hear about these things. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write about them anyway.
1: <laughs> so uh, enjoy spending your the first week of December at home. Yeah, I will. And have a good Thanksgiving.
2: Thank you, KG. You and too.
1: thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Again, we're hoping you do an email only show with John Taylor. Send your emails to chinmusic at fangrass.com. You'll now enjoy a, a, another song from Model Home, and we'll talk to you next week. i